morning. It is a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. So I'll play the role of Glenn Clark today, and I think he'll play the role of Griffin Bass. We talked about this. I thought... Oh, today was the day we yeah, were flipping things around? Man. All right. Maybe next next Tuesday would be perfect, right? We can do it then? Uh, what ah. about the Tuesday app? No, next Tuesday is the only day I have available. i got to switch our names back. Now. So sorry. So sorry. A lot to do on a Tuesday edition of the program. We're going to celebrate Carmelo Anthony. We talked about Melo yesterday, but uh, I said then, I was like, I don't know that we do enough to appreciate you know maybe a, a top five Baltimore athlete ever and then I said well, well I'm we <laughs> like when I say we that includes me so what can I do so today we're gonna take just a minute and um, celebrate and honor the career of Carmelo Anthony two people that know Carmelo really well his godfather Eric Skeeters who's one of the most fascinating figures in Baltimore history if you don't know Eric Skeeters story he was on the staff at Coppin when they upset South Carolina in the NCAA tournament. And then was on the staff at UMBC oh, really? when they pulled off the uh, iconic eternal upset of Virginia in the NCAA tournament. Uh, also happens to be Carmelo Anthony's godfather. So you want him on your Fascinating. staff. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you want to pull off an upset of some sort, he'd be the guy to have on the staff. We'll talk to Eric Skeeters about his uh, godson, Carmelo Anthony. Also this morning, uh, Darnell Hopkins, who is the head coach at Archbishop Curley, was teammates with Mello at Towson Catholic, very close friends. He'll join us as well. So we're going to spend some time uh, celebrating and honoring Carmelo Anthony this morning. Also, we'll catch up with uh, Mike Florio, making that a regular uh, occurrence recently. Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, NBC Sports. He did a Lamar should be at OTAs bit, which is ironic because the word is that they're expecting him to be at OTAs this week. He just wasn't there yesterday. So, like, I'm not really sure how much, even if you care about it, I'm not really sure how fired up you can be about the fact that he wasn't there on Monday but might be there today, for example. Um, We we disagree. That's the reality of it. I'm not hiding that. I just don't care. And and I say we disagree – I don't even know that I can say we disagree as much as I just don't care. Like, I just don't. I can't pretend. Like, Mike brought up, hey, the Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes last year, and they won the Super Bowl. That's that's true. Now go back and do the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before Then Tell me what the correlation is between quarterbacks, percentage of OTAs they're in attendance for, and Super Bowl wins. Now that would require a lot of work. Yeah. Maybe someone can do it. Maybe we can put Griffin on that later on in the day today. I'll just gradually, yeah, go back year by year and try to figure out like how many OTAs would you have to attend if you were going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl? Because I'm going to guess we're going to find that it's all over the place. So Stafford was at OTAs in 2021. There you go it's with proof. the Rams, which of course makes sense. It was his first year yes. with a new team. But how many OTAs? He was also he coming had? off thumb surgery, so was I don't it, think he was, was like playing too much. Oh, I, I do think I remember yeah. that, that he wasn't actually participating. Yes, he, he was, was just there, kind of though. Present, kinda right? kinda but was he there for the all system. of the OTAs? Was he there for football <laughs> school? Because, as you know, the hollow tradition of football school, it's very important that Lamar Jackson be there for football school and can't miss a Monday OTA. That would be That would be criminal if that were the case. I'm going to get you on that. You can spend some time okay, with Okay, well, it, I guess it looks like he was kind of a full per- participant. So the uh, Stafford was a full participant uh, that, that year because the thumb surgery didn't hold him back too much okay. during OTAs. Okay, there you go. That's definitive proof. That That's all we need right there. Did say he felt like a rookie. Two for two. That's, there have been, as we know, there have been two Super Bowls ever. So yeah. 
So what? Tom Brady was the next one. Was it? And you got? Did you find out he was there for all of the OTAs, or he showed yeah, up I mean, for? You got that's the part of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. All right. Again, I'll continue researching. All right. You stay on that. It's very important. <laughs> Mike Florio will join us a little bit later on. Also this morning, uh, Patrick Stevens. It is a Tuesday. We are winding down. Next week is our final visit with Patrick Stevens for the year. Unfortunately, no more local teams. I also would like you to do some research today on how many years there have been both a men's and women's Final Four with no team from the state of Maryland involved. Mm. Not that, you know, we would have been... Seems like a good question for Patrick Stevens, right? Uh, Patrick doesn't really do women's lacrosse, unfortunately. So, I mean, he might be able to come up with the answer fairly quickly because he's, you know got every all the information in his hands but he doesn't do women's lacrosse final fours um because they're rarely in the same city there's been a lot of talk about that over the years about whether or not i think when they're in foxborough they've been in the same city but for the most part they have not been in the same city over the years so um you know that's disappointing for us because we love lacrosse and it's just a bummer that we're going to have a memorial day weekend with nothing of particular local interest but still Turns out they're going to give away a title anyway, and we will uh, discuss the three ACC teams and Penn State reaching the uh, Final Four this weekend with Patrick Stevens. So that's all coming up this morning here on the program. Today's show is brought to you by A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels, heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is here. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. So, obviously, the Orioles were off yesterday. Um, I, like most of you, sat down and watched the Lakers game last night. I say the Lakers game. They lost. That's the funny part about the, the way that all of, our, all of our attention is on the Lakers. I know. <laughs> and it's so sad. Um, I, and I'll, I'll get – like, I said my piece yesterday. I am a Jimmy Butler fan the rest of these playoffs. That's who I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for Jimmy Butler, and because of that, I'm rooting for the Heat. I am – like I said to Jeremy yesterday, what I'm very nervous is that it doesn't matter, that the Nuggets are just proving to be the class of the NBA, and if they had a, had a healthy Jamal Murray, they might very well be stockpiling multiple titles at this point that that combination of Jokic and Murray is deadly and lethal. And then add in the fact that they are getting solid contributions. It's not what LeBron James tried to explain a couple nights ago. That's not the story of how it is the Nuggets are winning, but it's not irrelevant either. They are getting, you know, Porter's had a good series. Gordon has had a good playoffs. Um, Bruce Brown, as I mentioned yesterday, has had a good playoffs. They have gotten solid contributions elsewhere. The Denver Nuggets have. That said, I don't think the Nuggets are infallible. I mean, they lost two games to the Phoenix Suns. I just think they're the class of the NBA at this point. Last night was, I don't want to say pathetic from the Lakers, because it's certainly not what the Celtics did in Game 3 against the Heat. It's, it's kind of unfathomable that they could waste 31 first-half points from LeBron James and having a 15-point halftime lead and not even have the lead going into the fourth quarter. Like, that's amazing. It's amazing that you could piss it all away in the course of one quarter and it'd just be over. And the Nuggets weren't even, like, playing particularly brilliantly in the fourth quarter. They were they were kind of limping to the finish line as well. Nikola Jokic just tossing up. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, like, he does it times. once a game. I think he, he does it twice, twice a game at this point where he just the, – the offense is going nowhere, they're hopeless, 
And he's just like, ah, hell, I'll throw the ball towards the basket. And there it is. Just swish. Just and beautifully. Yeah. I mean, like the most, the prettiest thing you'll ever see. And there is no explanation. Did you know for Tristan Thompson was still playing basketball? Yeah, I found that out last <laughs> night, too, for what it's worth. I got to be honest with you. I don't think I knew that either. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from the Nuggets when we have the conversation, but I told you my piece. I think, unfortunately, as much as I'm going to be rooting for Jimmy Butler, I think the Nuggets are the class of the NBA. I think the Nuggets are likely going to win the NBA title. And I think the shame for them and what Baltimore's own Tim Connolly built before he left, of course, uh, Loyola alum Michael Malone, it's a good – I think we might uh, try to reach out to um, – I didn't realize that he and Tavares Hardy are pretty close. So I think this week we might have Tavares Hardy to talk about what that means. I got it's it's a low key local story because you know Michael Malone wasn't exactly like a rock star player during his time. This isn't like you know I'm trying to think of, of who is an Jarris Lyles becoming a, a high level NBA coach. We we're like man, I think there are still overwhelmingly more people in this city that have no idea that Michael Malone played at Loyola <clears throat> than there are people who do. And, of course, those aren't even good Loyola teams, uh, post-Mark Amatucci. That, so there's just not a whole lot of thought to that era of Loyola basketball. But, I, I don't know, it's a neat local story that he's led. It used to be that the Nuggets were almost like Baltimore West because Tim Connolly was the GM and Michael Malone was the coach and Wes Unsell Jr. was on the staff and Will Barton was on the roster. Mm-hmm. Like They had built this like Baltimore thing out there now Connolly's gone Barton came back this way and Wes Unseld came back this way and so it's just Michael Malone that's left at this point all the Baltimore natives are no longer in the uh, the the system for the Denver Nuggets but still um, what they built they probably could have been again with just Jamal Murray health it's it is totally plausible that they could have like the Warriors weren't even all that good last year as much as Steph just kind of was unconscious for the last couple of rounds of the playoffs with the the health and the you know the, the obviously they got swept out by the Suns the previous year with no Jamal Murray on the floor I don't know if they had a healthy Jamal Murray we could be talking about a team would they have beaten Giannis maybe we could be talking about a team that could have won three titles I mean really I, I don't I'm not saying they would have but they could have been that good and I think we're seeing exactly what they had in mind when they built that team play out right now as they certainly at the moment look like the team to beat going into the finals. Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from Miami. Special story. Yeah, I mean, they're just playing really good basketball. Like, it's just – it's <clears throat> it's you have to be well, they, on your they, A game. They, and, they defend. Yeah. Right? They didn't defend, they defend in the first half. Yeah, and defend. Jokic doesn't defend. <laughs> like, and, he defends enough, but he's not a, a high-level defender. It seems like they're kind of making at least the defensive plays when they need to. They, Look, you know, certainly, the obviously, they did that last night yeah. with LeBron. Like, it, the, that was tough, too. Because everyone knew Where it was, was going to be LeBron gonna and be. LeBron going to the basket. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a tough spot if you're Darvin Ham. Do you draw up a play that involves him drawing that attention and trying to kick it out to Austin Reeves? And if Austin Reeves that misses that shot, you're going to be murdered for drawing up a play at the end of the game for Austin Reeves to be the one. Yeah, I still think that's the right play. I mean, they've been they've been fouling them pretty much all game anyway, so even you know, that that was your best that was your best play. Either LeBron's going to finish or right. he's going to get hit and you know, they happen to, you know, just make a clean tremendous play tremendous defense. Yeah. I mean, absolutely tremendous defense starting with Murray and then finished mm-hmm. off by Gordon. Excellent yeah. defense at the end of the game. The Lakers story is the one that permeates because after the game they started to go to the LeBron threatening to retire thing. 
and I, your laugh is the laugh that everybody's giving it right now. It's it's a weird spot. I think we've all, in any other situation, I think it would be reasonable to consider. It's the part that I don't know that LeBron. The question is whether or not LeBron accepts that this playoffs was proof that at his age, he's just not going to be able to do this. I mean, he dropped 40. I understand for one game. For one game, he looked really good. Charles Barkley brought that up a couple weeks. Like they In the Memphis series, he had had a really good game, and then they laid a dud two days later. And Barkley was laughing at halftime. He was like, dude, this is the way it goes. Like You can't play like that. And put play that many minutes and put out that type of effort and just be okay two days later. There was something I was thinking about at the end of the game, which was even if the Nuggets had lost last night, they had they would have won the series by staying right. in the game and forcing LeBron to play as many minutes as he played last night and then have to travel to Denver and then play in the thin air. There was going to be no chance. The question is not about whether or not he can still have moments – Michael Jordan still had moments with the, the effing Washington Wizards where he looked like a basketball player. LeBron is still quite capable of having, but what it takes to win an NBA title is to be able to play at that high of a level consistently every other night for a span of multiple months at the end of the season. If you're LeBron... Can you figure? Can you chart a path to play sparingly? Yeah, twenty games during I mean, the regular season. Like legitimately, yeah. that that little in the regular season. And and how do you? It's a very difficult thing because as a competitor, you don't want to just openly admit, guys, I'm taking the uh, the regular season off. I'm just going to be a postseason player next year, and nothing other than that. Like that's antithetical to LeBron being the guy that's sort of been the face of the NBA and has done the NBA's bidding over the years and, you know, won't say a negative word about China because he knows how important it is to the NBA and, like, all of that stuff, it would be very antithetical to that for LeBron to then turn around and be like, right, I'm not going to play in the regular season. And do you trust, like, do they with him playing in the regular season, they barely made the playoffs. There's been a lot of talk about the Lakers maybe trying to get into the market for Kyrie Irving. It's, there was a rumor about Trey Young that I think came out like literally 15 minutes ago. I mean, Trey Young <laughs> would be very desirable, yeah. obviously. So can you put together a better team for LeBron to be able to do that, to be able to do the thing where he just, I mean, legitimately almost doesn't play, plays just enough that he feels like he's in a rhythm, but that's it. And can you put together a good enough team to make sure you get in to then be boosted by LeBron, and then do you mess with chemistry? If yeah. the team's good enough without LeBron – is it difficult to then reintroduce LeBron at that point? I would assume that the Lakers or any other team would be willing so to, figure it out, to do yeah. that with LeBron James, but I don't think it's as simple as you want to make it out to be. I think there's a real question that LeBron has to ask himself, which is, can I physically do this? Because I don't think he wants to just go out there to have games. I don't really know what it does for LeBron James for people to say, yeah, but he played really well when they got swept by the Nuggets. in game. He played really well in game four when they were getting swept in the Western Conference Finals. How does that add anything to LeBron's career, to his happiness, to his legacy? I, we've all assumed that he was going to play for two more years so that he would have the opportunity to play with his son. 
and by the way, it's not a given that his son's going to be a high-level NBA player either. Like, some of even his college recruiting has just been inflated by the fact that he's LeBron James' son. Right. I still think that's the most likely scenario is that he's going to do everything in his power to present that opportunity. Now, it creates almost like an awkwardness of, is the NBA going to rig next year's draft for Bronny James, who I don't even know that people think is the number one prospect? Like, it's, So it's not ne- it's not the 2024 No, it draft. would be the 2024 He's, the he's going draft. to USC next year. Okay. So he'll and be playing so he'll be playing, he'll be playing in the fall at USC. Okay. Okay. And then he'll be in the 2024 draft. So the question would be, is LeBron just kind of openly saying, look, I'm just going to go sign with, you know, the Cavs, the Cavs, well, I guess, I don't know. The, the Grizzlies, the the Nets, whoever the it is. The Pistons again. Whoever yeah. it is that drafts Bronny. Again, I don't know that Bronny James is a, hang on, I'm trying to see if I can find, I'm really looking for a 2024 mock NBA draft. I don't even know, here we go, um, Bronny James, this is, is from, I mean, he's going to be, I guess he's got to be first. No. What What do you mean he's got to be first? Well, just because that's what. He's the, not thought of as that type of player. Yeah, but if, if NBA he's going to com has him 28th. Oh, wow. That He's just not thought of as that type of prospect. He's got a lot of time to turn it around. I guess, but he's not LeBron's size. I don't think that's changing over the course of this year. Like, I. I, it seems like it's setting up for you could almost, if you're sitting there with the 17th pick, say we could use it on this player or we could get a year of LeBron. Like, I, and a, you're getting a year of 40 year old LeBron at that point. But like, then maybe, you know, you learn in a Trey Young, say, and then. Well, I mean, if, if they've all agreed ahead of time, they're a yeah. massive package deal. That's, that's quite the thing to be putting together at that point. For Trey Young to just say, I don't care. Whatever team selects Dray- this Draymond kid, Green comes if the over Utah too. Jazz selects yeah. Bronny James, I'll go play in Utah. That seems a little bit over the top. For Draymond that Green will probably follow. Sure, why not? I don't know that you'd want Draymond Green at that point of his career. Um, I, I still don't believe it. I still think that ultimately the lore of the opportunity to play alongside his son stands out and even if he accepts at that point that he's kind of a sideshow it's just such a unique thing to have been able to to do to say that you did that it becomes worth it but if he's if this really was for LeBron the moment where it struck him I'm never going to be able to do what I used to be able to do again I can't carry a team through June of an NBA season physically it's not possible if that's the moment, nothing would surprise me. And as much as it would be neat to be, you know, on a team with your son, it is sideshow at that point, right? Like, and I do wonder if he thinks about the Jordan Wizards and thinks about whether or not he wants to experience that, which again isn't to say that this was that bad. And part of the problem was that he, Jordan was on the wrong team. If Jordan was on a team that was already good, he could have been an ancillary piece, but he didn't want that. He wanted to be the focal part of a basketball team, despite the fact that he was 40 years old at that point. I I don't know. I can't get inside the guy's head, but I would still be surprised if this ends with LeBron James being retired. What I do know is that this season will not end with LeBron James as a champion because the Lakers were indeed swept out. Tonight we will see if the Heat do the same thing to the Celtics and indeed set up a Heat-Nuggets NBA Finals. 
Today's show brought to you by, this one's brought to you by this print issue of Pressbox that you see sitting in front of me right here. This is illustration of Jackson Holiday on the cover as this issue of Pressbox dives in to the pipeline of talent that is still to come for the Baltimore Orioles, even though Grayson and Adley and Gunner are already here. Three legitimate, two guys who are number one prospects overall, the other who is a number one pitching prospect in baseball, all got here, and yet... It's still loaded. Read all about it right now on this print issue of Pressbox, available for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you can find Pressbox. Read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. And don't forget that in concert with this issue, Pressbox is giving away four tickets to all of the area's minor league baseball teams in order for you to go see all of this talent. Plus, an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms in order to help you get around to see all those teams. Got to go sign up today, pressboxonline.com slash contest. Must be 18 or older in order to enter. The sweepstakes ends June 14th. Again, pressboxonline.com slash contests. So as I said yesterday, I don't think we as a city have done enough to uh, lift up and recognize an absolute icon uh, among our ranks, one of us, maybe one of the greatest athletes in Baltimore sports history. So we're going to do a little bit of that today and celebrate the, the career of Carmelo Anthony. Joining us now, a guy I've always loved and who has lived one of the most unique basketball lives ever, as I mentioned earlier, was part of the Coppin State staff that shocked South Carolina, was on the UMBC staff that shocked Virginia, and he just also so happens to be Carmelo Anthony's godfather. But other than that, nothing really on his resume. He is the man, Coach Eric Skeeters. He's back with us here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. Hey, hey, Glenn. Dude, what, you, you've done your homework, that's for sure. Eric, you, you know you, I know you, you, bro. I know you, Listen, bro. Go Ravens, go Orioles. I know, man. Right? I know, dude. You are very much one of us. It's great to catch up, man. Um, can Likewise. You, can, Likewise. You, can you take me back, Coach, like your relationship with Carmelo and getting to know him and the role that you played in his life? For folks that don't know, can you explain – how you guys became so intertwined when he was very young. Yeah, 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 sure. It's so it's funny because even in his book, he dedicated his book to his big cousin, Tavares Graham. Tavares Graham played he, – so I'm coaching my first year at St. Francis, 92-93, and we went to J- – so shout out to the BCL. We went our first our JV, the JV championship. One of the guys on my team, Corey Bradford, Westball lives on Myrtle Avenue. And so midsummer of 93, you know, I don't know where we were, but he's like, Coach, you got to come check out this kid from New York. They just moved to Baltimore. So, you know, come get the kid. I don't know if we went to a park or a rec center or whatever. And the kid's name was Tavares Graham. And when I say one of New York City's finest, I mean, he had all the fancy dribbling, mm. athletic jump to the moon. And so – you know, here we go. Get the kid in school, um, get him enrolled. And so we had another big-time player coming to St. Francis that summer named Mark Karcher. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah, he turned out okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no longer a grass field next to the building. It's a gym now. So yeah. you know, thanks to Mark Because we played our games at UB. So Tavares Graham was Carmelo's big cousin. So 
Carmelo's mother had custody of Tavares. And so with that, she moved the family down. Obviously, you know, he tells the story in the book. But Tavares, we kept him on the JV. Mark was on the varsity. And it was almost like this kid was the warm-up. He was the first act hmm. to the varsity. So, I mean, literally, my games would be packed, number one, because obviously we were pretty good that year. Um, but he was dunking the ball. He was just, you know, just between the legs and all the, the New York City handle and all that stuff. So this kid would, I mean, he would light UV up getting ready for the varsity. So the JV games had some excitement. So who's tagging along with him with all these different, you know, going to pick the kid up, drop him off. Uh, Corey Bradford. So Corey obviously lived across the street from him on Myrtle Avenue. So, I'm, you know, and those, you give the kids rides home, you pick them up. And Tavares is like, come on, can, can my little cousin come? Say, yeah, sure, come on. You know, low mellow, low mellow, low hmm. mellow. So hmm. that's how the relationship started. The guys from the neighborhood, Fonzo Jones, um, player St. Francis, obviously he was first team all Catholic league, the, the Robert Marshall rec center. So all those guys in that neighborhood played for St. Francis, you know, came up in that rec center, Robert Marshall. And that's how I was a young, you know, summer league AAU coach. I'm coaching at Bentlow. I'm coaching AAU. I'm coaching at St. Francis. You know, coaching the Craig Cromwell, something like that. Melo just became a part of the team almost. Like, hmm. you know, he, he he started calling his godfather later on in life, you know, years later, because Tavares took to the streets. So after his first year, he never came back to St. Francis. Hmm. He played one year at St. Francis, took to the streets the whole wire, New York, Baltimore thing, mm -hmm. you know, just took to the streets. So Corey had another year. Corey Braff had another year. So I was still back and forth at Myrtle Avenue. I told Melo's mom, you know, Tavares had gone to the street. I said, listen, he stayed on the straight and narrow. I got him. You know, it wasn't about basketball. Just a good kid, mentor, in the wreck. You know, one of those things in, in Baltimore where he's just one of the young kids you take under your wing. He happens to be a pretty decent player. Good kid. Good kid, good student. Funny kid to be around. <laughs> Laughing, joke all the time. Silly little dude. And it just took on a life of his own. To where some years later, we're taking AAU trips. I take him with me. You know, we go down to Boo Williams or somewhere. We, you know, I take, come on, you want to go? Come on. You know, guys from the neighborhood are playing Fonzo Jones. Is playing. So that's kind of how he and I met and the relationship started. Now, that's not in the book because Tavares kind of, I don't even know if he named Tavares in the book. Because he called him Lucky. Hmm. But hmm. that's how the relationship started. It was through Corey Bradford and... Play, you know, his cousin Tavares Grant playing for me at St. Francis. Coach, when did you <laughs> when did you notice like, hey, hey, this kid's pretty good too? Like, when was the first inclination uh, that you had that you know, like, uh, this might not just be a fun kid to hang around with? Like, this this kid might be kind of special. So, Glenn, that never happened in my time, really with the kid in Baltimore. Really? So I left for Youngstown State in 99. He was in the ninth or 10th grade. So let's go back to when he goes to Towson Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm coaching at Coppin State. He's in middle school. He has spent all his time in St. Francis for all these years. You know, all right, let's see. So let's see, 95, 96, we were really good, right? We were, I don't know, top 10 in the country at the end of the year. 
St. Francis was USA Today, top 20, right? We really good. We went out half, right? So that was Mark Carter's junior year. So we're really good. Um, I go to COP in 96, 97. Can't remember when Melo went to Towson Catholic. But anyway, he goes to Towson Catholic in the ninth grade. I think they went five games, seven games. You can Eddie Green Senior if you're out there, or Joe Conley, okay. all the Towson mm-hmm. Catholic guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he goes to Towson Catholic. Let me let me make sure everybody who's listening. Melo goes to Towson Catholic versus St. Francis because of one person, Lafonte Johnson. Lafonte Johnson was the guy, was the guy that he loved, just looked up to, the player. I don't know if you remember Lafonte Johnson. Only vaguely. Over at, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. So at Goucher, Towson Catholic versus St. Joe, BCL championship. My man had like nine or ten threes okay. in the championship game. Look it up. And he lit Goucher up this night. And I mean, put a team on his back and helped, <laughs> kept Pat Clatchy from his first Catholic League mm-hmm. championship. Now Clatchy's gone on. Yeah, he's won a couple. With a bunch yeah, of them. Yeah. But that was the reason why. Mello chose Towson Catholic versus St. Francis. Because, you know, everybody thought he was set signs. And I'm at Coppice. I don't got it. Go wherever you need to go. You know, Joe Conley and them guys did a great job of recruiting them, trying to get them there versus, you know, Coach Wells, you know, West Baltimore, East Baltimore. Thing. It, it just – he goes to TC. So he plays on the JV tonight. Great. I mean, they weren't that good. So the, 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 the maturation – I'm in Youngstown, Ohio. So I kind of – I hear about it, you know, through him, through Mello, through the phone. There wasn't a whole lot of cell phones back then, so it was still beepers and stuff. I go to pay phone, calling cars, things of that nature. We talk every other day on the weekends, things of that nature. Keep in progress. He goes to two places. He goes with – Joe Conley takes him up to um, Eastern Invitation on the Hoop Group Camp, and he plays against Rasul Butler. Okay. And that was kind of his coming out party, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay. And then after his 10th grade year, yeah, I think Joe just posted another day, um, the AAU team, so he makes the varsity 10th grade, they go to the championship game, they lose to Archbishop of Spalding, Derek Snowden. I'm giving you a little bit of BCL history here. So they lose in the championship game that spring. He plays against James White, I think D.C. Assault versus Baltimore. I think I can't remember what uh, the Baltimore Nike AAU team was called. And he put on – and Melo put on an absolute show. Put him against James White. Hmm. Everybody came to see mm-hmm. James White. This James White, you know, flies through the air, jumps off a trampoline in the layup line. Like, I mean, this kid could, could dunk him, and he walked on air. So Melo just flat out outplays him. And I don't know, college coaches couldn't come, I don't think. I, don't, I think it was like in the dead period, but it was packed. Jim was packed. It was one of those D.C. Baltimore games, and that was his coming out party to the area. Like, this kid is legit, for real, big time. He just outdueled James White. James White's going to be McDonald's All-American. Yep. Tello's only going to be a, a junior. And that's where he took off. I didn't – it was never that's in so our wild. time right. together that he was – oh, man, yeah. Trust me, they came. They came and they came and, you know, hand over foot after that coming out party. But in that sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade time that I, he was like, yeah, my godson, yeah, 
he was good, but the goal wasn't he's going to be in the pros. I'm, me and his mom, I'm telling you, made a pact. Trying to get the kid eligible, make sure he gets a scholarship. Make that, sure he's eligible back then. You know, they changed SAT requirements and all that stuff. It wasn't about how good he was. Yeah, there wasn't. Right. You, you weren't thinking Hall of Fame at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Glenn, our relationship was not based on his basketball. Well, and this is okay. So this is this is this is fascinating. I mean, Eric Skeeters is with us, of course. Carmelo Anthony's godfather, and 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 this is fascinating because you you mentioned Tavares Graham. I wonder what the difference was. And why it was that Mello was never fall, never fell victim to the streets, right? Like, what what prevented him? You know this story sadly so well yeah, in our city, yeah, and yeah. how many incredible mm-hmm. talents? I mean, iconic basketball mm-hmm. players fell victim to the streets. Why was it yep, that I, that Mello didn't? First of all, he had a praying mom. That's first and foremost. Mom, very religious, very strict. Every church, every Sunday, Bible study, recite the Bible cover to cover, all 66 books. God bless his mom. The coaches in his life, from the rec center, um, Coach Mitch Wise, Kevin McLean, we call him Jim Black, um, Ernie, Ernie Hall, like the guys in the rec center, and, and Rob Marshall and the neighborhood, myself, Joe Conley, Eddie Green Sr., Eddie Green Jr., Mike Daniels, the guys at Towson Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a ton of – and Melo wasn't the, the – the, when he blew up, when he blew up, where the guys, the street guys, so to speak, started coming after him, he already had that foundation built in, and we protected him, so to mm-hmm. speak. And he wasn't really into girls. He wasn't really into – he just loved ball. Mm-hmm. So Tavares is – so – and, and it's funny story, not funny, not funny story. The tragic, but transformation, the tragic transformation for Mello was 99. I was coaching at Youngstown. I never forget where I was. We were playing Montana at Montana. He's texting me, texting me, or beeping me, 911-911-911. Mello, just keep beeping. I'm, I'm at, you know, get to the hotel, what's wrong? Tavares got shot. Hmm. So Tavares gets shot and killed Thanksgiving weekend, week of, somewhere around Thanksgiving in 99. Mm. And literally, everybody around him, at the funeral, you know, and literally got shot in the back with some, his baby mama, boyfriend, beefing, just something stupid, flat out stupid. Shot the kid in the back, like they were fighting, and the kid walked, Tavares walks away, said, man, you, you do, and the dude shot him in the back, killed him. We all poured in, myself, everybody. Mom, like, we're not going to let Melo go bad. And he didn't want to. He obviously wanted. And he had hit that growth spurt as well. Right, right? Right. That, that, that helped. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. Around that same time, in 10th, 11th grade, he hit. So he goes from 6'4 to 6'7, however tall he got. And he had this, he had this wall. I, you got to give credit to the people, the coaches in his life, the teachers. He was a great student. He was a great student. This kid, he won awards at the Pier 5, Christopher Columbus. I think it was math and science or something. Wow. He had to give a speech. I remember giving it. So, and if somebody has that footage or find it somewhere, I don't know who it was through. Maybe his mom knows where it is. Maybe he knows where it is. But he was one of them guys that he was accepted in the hood. Obviously, he lived in the pharmacy. He lived on Myrtle Avenue, Pennsylvania Avenue. The, you know, all the, the terrorists, Lexington Terrace, all the projects running Murphy homes. But 
he just he 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 was protected. He was covered. I mean, his mom prayed every day. He was protected. He he literally had a foundation of coaches. Again, Mitch Wise, Kevin Jim Black McLean, myself, the Towson Catholic coaches, Joe Conley, the people in the rec center, the people in his school. Oh, my man, Corbett, Darrell Corbett at his rec center, Mount Royal, where he went to middle school, elementary school, you know, his best friend, Kenny Minor. Like, he had a crew. Melo had a crew that they were all, it was all basketball. It wasn't anything. It wasn't the streets. They just didn't take to the streets. And the guys in the streets looked out for him. Wow. Did not mess with him. He was not. When Tavares died, when Tavares got killed, and Tavares got killed in New York. He didn't get killed in Baltimore. He got killed in New York. It, it Almost Baltimore was a safe haven for him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, like, I mean, not going back in you know, trouble in New York. Go co- ahead. Coach, I, and I, man, I'm going to regret. We we should have done an hour together this morning. Like, I should have. This is the history lesson <laughs> you're giving me. Um, I, I, I mean, I want to wrap with this question if I can. Because what sure. you just said about Baltimore being a safe haven, knowing the way that you know him, what did Baltimore do to make Carmelo Anthony Carmelo Anthony? Like, how... How important was Baltimore in Melo becoming a basketball icon, mm. a, a first ballot mm. Hall of Famer? Great question. The, the pride in the players. He's from New York. He moved to New York. But Melo was his basketball, and you can look at the tapes of Melo playing and Mark Karcher playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is one thing I'm gonna take a little bit of credit for. <laughs> everything about Mel- everything about Bellow's game is a direct reflection of Mark Karcher's game. Uh-huh. Now, you remember Mark Karcher? Six mm-hmm. five couldn't jump over a telephone book, right? But all the skills, all the toughness, all the ten- so Baltimore at that time had what you call unlimited leagues to where the pros and the older guys would play outside. And you could go East Baltimore, West Baltimore. Too many to name. I don't want to leave any of them out. But there was a there was a there was a maturation for players. Like, okay, Mark Carter playing against Keith Booth. Mark was a freshman in high school. Keith Booth was a freshman in college. Sure. Mm-hmm. Played against each other down the dome, right? And couldn't tell who was the freshman. And Keith Booth was a freshman in high school, junior. He played with Muzzy Bowes and the guys down the Urban Coalition. So there was a maturation process in Baltimore that the older guys taught the younger guys. And so Mello learned everything about the game, patterned his game after Mark Karcher and them years he spent with us at St. Francis. Wow. All the jab steps, pivots, scoring, the body control now. Mark was 6'5 and unathletic. <laughs> Melo was 6'8 and could jump to the moon. Yep. So he took that skill set and that toughness and that ability to win. Like Mark put us on his back in 95, 96, my man. And we won big game after big game. Yep. Charm City Classic, Baltimore Catholic League. Uh, we went to one of this big tournament out in Ohio, all the way to the Alhambra. Won the, we're the last BCL team that went to Alhambra in 96. So Melo pattern his game, all the skills uh, around what Mark and then Mark had a pretty good career at Temple, second round draft. Damn good, been in the yes, league. correct, That's story. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three thousand, hell of a player, top five in the country, USA Today. So <laughs> first team All USA Today. 
So he wasn't chopped liver. Let's no. just put that out. Yeah, yeah. Mark was a bad dude. And so think about now a six eight athlete with that toughness, with that mindset, and that, okay, I've seen all that Mark has done, but watch me. I can jump. I can shoot it like him. I got the tough. I can pass with my left hand. That's like little LaFonte Johnson that we always laugh about. He had no left hand up until like 10th grade. He was all right. So, so he, the thing about Baltimore that made Melo a first ballot Hall of Famer, and we got to get back to it to get another one because we got some talent in the town, mm-hmm. is the, the unlimited leagues. And when I say unlimited, it was like the, the, the semi-pro or the pro leagues or where the old guys, the old heads, we call them, the old heads play. That process of them outdoor summer leagues, that's how Melo matured, learned the game of basketball, and then, you know, was he top not, number nine all-time league score in NBA history? Yep. yep. That's all Baltimore. That's all Baltimore. That's why he has that WB on his chest, born bread or something like that. I can't remember. West Baltimore. And yep. He got something else on a tattoo. You should always see on his jersey when he's at the free throw line or underneath his jersey at the free throw line. But that's what the basketball, he's still, you know, he played for the Knicks for a long time. Got reacclimated, reconnected with the New York side of it in a part of his life, but the basketball part, the first battle Hall of Famer, all Baltimore. Well, and he still has a Ravens tattoo for sure on his arm because <laughs> he loves him. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, uh, you, you see where he called a yeah. He called the first round draft with a kid, K Flowers. Yeah, yeah. He right. said at a press conference. Yep. How'd you know you're in Baltimore? Let's call Melo Happy. Yep. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Eric, uh, we need to do this more. Uh, I know you got, you know, things that you want to do. I'm ready. Whenever you're ready to sit down and start working on your book, I need you to call me because you got a you got a lot <laughs> of stories to share with folks. Uh, My bad. Coach, My it's bad. great My to bad. catch up with you this morning, man. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Let's yes. talk again real soon. All right. Hey, where can I find this, Glenn? Where can I get this and share this? I, I, I will have friends. Griffin. Uh, Griffin will hook you up with that. I'll make sure we get that taken care My of. God. All right. Appreciate you, Eric. My God. Thanks, Thanks for doing right, this, Glenn. man. Take care. Eric Skeeters, uh, Carmelo Anthony's godfather. That's really cool. I mean, what that's un, that's a history lesson right there on one of the great athletes in Baltimore history that you just got. And stories that I didn't know. Like, I had never heard those stories before. So that was special to me. Like, that was – that was I was kind of getting goosebumps um, listening to that because I, I, I have not done a good enough job of studying um, the history of Carmelo Anthony. So I really appreciate that. Um, and we'll talk more about Mello with uh, Darnell Hopkins here in a uh, couple of minutes. Uh, is is Florio now? Is that when we got a couple minutes here? We, we got can, a couple minutes. Okay. Yeah, we can break. Do you want to take a break? Or, yeah. You tell me. I don't know what we, we got to do. Yeah. Okay, we'll grab a break. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, will join us next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. What air conditioning company can save fifty percent of your energy cost and qualify you for up to seventy five hundred dollars in rebates? AJ Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, AJMichaels.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles. Diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson. And Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm 
Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue along on a Tuesday edition of the program. Today's show is also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Well, I'm not saying it becomes an irrelevant conversation now, but there's nothing really left to debate. Uh, Jeff Zrebeck of The Athletic reports this morning that indeed Lamar Jackson is at the facility ahead of uh, day two of OTAs for the Baltimore Ravens, is expected to participate this week in OTAs which this man thinks is very important and something he needed to do. He is our friend Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk and NBC Sports. He is with us again here on GCR. Mike, it's Glenn. Good to catch up. Appreciate you doing it. Um, I, I, I was going to tell you I only mildly – I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I do understand the premise that, like, hey, you got a boatload of money, you got a new offensive coordinator, some new wide receivers – it might be a good thing to go show up. I'm I just I'm not the guy that screams about this type of thing, but I get why it's a good show and the right thing for Lamar Jackson to be reporting this week. Well, look, these workouts are voluntary in theory. And I would say there's a certain set of circumstances where it's no big deal if a player doesn't show up. I would say given a certain level of financial investment, I don't know what the number is, but I would say $52 million per year is on the you-should-show-up side of it. You throw in the new offensive coordinator, an offense that they are specifically tailoring to unleash Lamar Jackson as a thrower, a more consistent passer of the football, a goal of extending his career by having him not rely on his legs and pivot to his arm. He should want to be there with new personnel. He should want to be there with a new offensive coordinator. That's what I don't understand. And look, it's debatable in some circumstances as to whether or not the guy should be there. I go back to last year, chiefs and Packers, great juxtaposition. 
both got both teams lose their number one receivers via trade. Patrick Mahomes is there for everything, beyond everything. He gathers the new receivers down in Texas. He works out with them on his own. He takes notes and communicates his information and his impressions of the new receivers back to the Chiefs who factor that into what they're doing. Aaron Rodgers, upset with the Packers' front office, is aloof. He's distant. He's not there. And it took them a good two months once the regular season started to get the new guys comfortable with Aaron Rodgers. So, again, franchise quarterback need to be there. You know why? All the other guys are there. Mahomes is there. Rodgers is there. Allen will be there. Burrow will be there. Lamar needed to be there. He should have been there yesterday. It's good that he's there today. I, the issue I have, obviously, is that like the word voluntary does need to mean something, right? Like I, you know, the language still has to matter. I guess what I would say too is, do we have a track record on like if there truly is? Because I've tried asking coaches this, and nobody's there's no statistic, right? Like, do we have definitive proof that ultimately the difference in whether a team wins the Super Bowl or not is whether or not your quarterback is there for the entirety of OTAs? You're not going to have any analytics, but look at last year. The Packers didn't get their stuff together until it was too late for them to make a push for the playoffs. Christian Watson, first snap of the year, wide open, drops the ball right in his hands. Now, is there any way that we can prove that he dropped that ball because he was still just a little bit too in awe of Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers wasn't around long enough in the offseason for Christian Watson to be sufficiently comfortable with him so he could hit the ground running and make the catches in training camp that would have Aaron Rodgers have full confidence in him. These are subtle human factors. And it's as simple as this. And I said this today, and it sounds like some stupid cliche you would see on the back of a card, but it's true. Everybody wants to be great. Not nearly as many want to do what, ha- what is required to be great. And all these other quarterbacks are doing it. It's a given. Mahomes is doing it. Allen is doing it. Burrow is doing it. These are the guys you're competing with. It goes back to Tom Brady and what he said. If you ever want to compete with me, you've got to outwork me. You've got to turn your life over to it to be as great as you can be. And I look at it this way. There's, there's no one that said, well, you know, we would have been better this year if I just hadn't been at practice in the offseason. That's never going to be argued. The, the argument is, you're going to be better, you're not going to be worse, and everybody else is doing it. And for $52 million a year, I don't think it's too much to ask. For the quarterback of the team, the guy who sets the agenda, stirs the drink, is the leader of the franchise, to be there for everything. Mike Florio is with us here on GCR. Father of mine is available right now. He's going to tell us more about it in a second. Mike, I, I do the one thing I wonder about in Baltimore uniquely, and it's something that was largely swept under the rug because of the Lamar Jackson situation, is how poisonous and disastrous the relationship was between the Ravens and the strength staff in this building led by Steve Saunders. And we remember that report card that came out where like literally everyone in the NFL got positive grades for their strength staff except for one team that got an F minus and like a legitimately I've never seen this in Ravens history before where players including active players came out so strongly against Steve Saunders and the strength staff in Baltimore and I just wonder what the impact of that is and if you know when you just replace the guy with the guy that was working with him before I've I've not been able to get guys to tell me directly that they still think it's a problem but I, I can't imagine that everybody is just copacetic when it was clearly that poisonous to the point where the Ravens, who were the most injured team in football for a couple of years and who had players directly blaming the strength that staff for that, 
I wonder how that impacts these types of situations. Well, first of all, I love the fact that the NFLPA report cards went full Bart Simpson with F minuses. There right. were plenty of F minuses <laughs> right. to go around when that thing came out. But this is one of the factors that becomes an issue in the overall development of an organization. You don't expect it from the Ravens because they fall on the functional side right. of the functional dysfunctional line. That's what made it surprising. And it is something that needs to be addressed. And they did do something about it. And the other thing about the strength staff, you just wonder how much of their attitude is a manifestation of what the head coach I, I agree, and how much it goes back to John Harbaugh. Yep. I, I strongly agree with that, right? Like, we know John Harbaugh is a guy that's kind of, like, he if he had his way, three-a-days would still exist, right? Like, that's his mentality. And, I, again, I've never sensed that it created a rift between the players and John Harbaugh. I've had nobody tell me anything like that. But it's it's weird to me how we've just kind of not, like, the, so publicly, Rashad Bateman, who is going to be a significant part of this football team, was attacking publicly what existed here, and we're just kind of moving on from that because we were so distracted by the Lamar Jackson topic over the course of the last few months. Like, that to me should be a big deal, Mike, and I don't know if it's just as simple as, hey, but trust us, it's not going to be like that moving forward. I, I think that's well, tough. Glenn, I think it may be just a function of age. I try to put myself back in the mindset that I had when I was in my early 20s and what mm. I understood about the world and how sheltered I had been. And you get focused on certain things and you don't understand how organizations work. I wonder if the players are even in position to come to the conclusion that the strength staff basically does what the head coach wants them That's to do and there's some good cop bad cop going on and they just don't know it because they react one way to the good cop and they react a different way to the bad cop and they're too young and inexperienced to understand that they're being grifted to a certain extent by this structure where the head coach doesn't want to be the jerk he needs someone else to be the jerk and when it all blows up that guy's gone and they put another guy in there to do what the head coach wants and again you know it's, it's, it's something you have to be part of and you have to be there every day to fully understand right. but i just think that younger guys may not understand it because I think at that age, I wouldn't have been able to figure that out. It's very fair, Mike. And again, I, it, it, maybe maybe there isn't even. Maybe really there was somehow this guy was just going rogue, but it's very hard to believe that. It's very hard to believe that it wasn't in concert with what the expectation was at the top of the organization, and we'll see how that plays out. That's the only kind of mitigating factor that I've thought about, and I thought about that a couple times during the Jackson conversations, honestly. Like, that – if it was this poisonous between Ravens players and the strength staff, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I've got to know, and, it, and I've dealt with injuries these last couple of years that you're now trying to hold against me, i, I got to know what this is going to look like moving forward because this is clearly a problem that doesn't exist just everywhere. And that's fine for phase one and two, yeah. right? But phase three is you're out on the field, you're learning the offense, you're laying the foundation in advance of the foundation sure. that's going to be put in place during training sure. camp. Everything you do now by way of the reps you take and the installation that the team does offensively and defensively gives you a head start on what you're going to do at training camp. That's where it becomes important. It's a building block. It's the building block before the building blocks really start and anything you can do now that makes it easier during camp. And you only have a couple of weeks before the preseason games start camp moves pretty quickly and before you know if the season starts. So that's why it's important. And, and look, I don't know what kind of workouts Lamar Jackson does on his own, but remember when that thing came up about his business partner calling teams and <laughs> Do I saw remember? that video of yeah. that 
that rolling gym. Yeah. God, I hope that's not what he was doing when he wasn't working out with the team. I had uh, I had Ken Francis on the show one day, Mike, and tried to get through it. It was weird. It was a weird conversation, man. I still don't know what to make of that whole thing. Um, Mike, Mike, before uh, you tell everybody a father of mine, just uh, your reaction to the news that came out of this week. I, I know football fans are very up in arms about um, the Thursday Night Football flexing thing, and, and I get it, right? Like, it's openly saying we kind of don't care about you. We only care about the TV networks. I also know that as someone who likes to sit down and watch football, I I don't like it when I sit down and remember that the game that I'm about to watch is Washington, you know, New York or something like that. I, I I am torn about this because I understand that television is or that football is a television show at this point, but it does seem egregious to fans that want to go to games and buy tickets and potentially travel that you're talking about moving football games three days. Yeah, I don't like it at all. And when one of the most influential owners in the league, in the league, excuse me, John Mara comes out and calls it abusive, then we should pay attention to that. And when Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, comes out and says that he doesn't like it. And look, he stands to be impacted by it. His fans who come from other places to Raiders games are going to be affected by it. You're making arrangements. And even though it's going to be used rarely, and they've done a nice job of getting the reporters and the analysts who are on the payroll and those who may want to be Mm -hmm. on the payroll in the future to say, oh, it's going to be used rarely. It doesn't matter because when you make the arrangements now for a game between week 13 and 17, you're assuming the risk that it's going to get moved three days in either direction. Either the Thursday night game is going to get moved to Sunday or that game that happens to be at 1 o'clock Eastern on a Sunday is going to get yanked to Thursday night and your whole plan gets blown up. And along the way, when it's time to resell the tickets that you can't use, you do it on the NFL's official scalping platform and they get a taste. (laughs) It's just amazing how it all works. So, you know, look, I remember it's been 10 years ago, almost to the month, that Mark Cuban, the Mavericks owner, said, of the NFL, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And I keep wondering when that moment is that they're going to move into potential slaughtered hog phase. And this is the first one that really pissed me off because it shows no regard for the in-stadium fans. Uh, it's fair. I mean, it is fair. I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. I just, I also know that I don't really, I, I'd spent a lot of years watching Jacksonville and Houston play Thursday night football games and I, I didn't want it either, I, but I know you're right. I know you're right. I just uh, – I it's 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 difficult. Hey, hey Glenn, me. how yes. can they keep passing the hat for public funding for stadiums? I get it. If this is what they're going to do to the people who show up to watch the games in stadiums. How can they keep justifying well, I, I guess they the real, I, Is the real question that at some point they're just openly acknowledging we don't – like is there a day that's going to come where they say we'll do what baseball did? We're going to start taking seats out of stadiums and we're going to have – That's going to happen. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. I, it feels I like what, teams, they, they just I, don't care. I know of teams that have done the math and that they believe if they had to do it all over again, they would not have an upper deck on their stadium. It's wild. Because for the money they make and the cost that they incur with that extra 20000 or 30000 in that upper rim of the stadium, it's not worth it from right. a profit standpoint. And if that would happen also, as we think down the road toward potential expansion of the NFL, you unlock different markets right. that aren't as big if you do 40,000 seat stadiums and it's just about having a full stadium that feels exciting and, and thrilling and it looks good on TV and it's all about TV going forward. And I think this is the moment where, you know, there was a time when they would black out games 
within the home market, even if they were sold out. Yep. They wanted to preserve the in-stadium experience. This is the moment where in-stadium takes a backseat to generating as much money as possible from TV. Uh, tell everybody about Father of Mine, Mike. Uh, mob novel set in 1973, back in the days when games were blacked out in the local market. Uh, set in the hometown uh, where I grew up, Wheeling, West Virginia, rife with mob activity. Uh, rollicking, fast-paced story that uh, had a fun time writing and uh, uh, moving briskly. I'm happy with how it's gone. It's only $4.99 at Amazon, and uh, that's the ebook, $13.97 for the print version. Perfect time to buy it as summer reading season is approaching. You will read it quickly, and you will like it. That's my prediction. And if Amazon would let me, I would do a money-back guarantee. Oh, well, wait a second. Now that might be, if you do they that. They won't let me. Oh, that's it's I guess I guess I get it, but it's weird that they would you're the author. Like what the hell, right? It's your product. At Pro Football. Yeah, I think it would be complicated. I think it would be complicated yeah. and uh I, I just think it would just cause problems for me and Amazon if I would try to do it. At Pro Football Talk, of course, is how you follow him in all the NBC Pro Football Talk platforms. Always appreciate you, sir. Thanks for doing this this morning. Mike Florio with us here on GCR. And again, kind of like I I, I was gonna have a back and forth, Mike. I'm almost irrelevant at this point because Lamar Jackson's there anyway. <laughs> like, he's there. And as I've said before, even though it's not something that I care about particularly, it sure as hell doesn't hurt. There's no way that it's a bad thing that Lamar Jackson is in the building. And I did wonder if when they got the deal done, there was a little bit of a, okay, Lamar, can we can we make this work so that it also involves you being here for OTAs at least this year? So I'm, I think it's a good thing. I do. I'm just not the guy that's going to scream and yell the other way. But I do think it's a good thing. I'm, it's like a, I'm neutral one way, positive the other. There's no real negative here for me whatsoever. Lamar Jackson, again, if you missed it, uh, reportedly is in the building today as the uh, Ravens continue OTAs this week. Our number one of today's show is in the books. Pressboxonline.com slash offers. If you go there right now, you'll get $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after you place your first $5 bet. See this and other great sportsbook offers at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Again, PressBoxOnline.com slash offers is the website. That's where you find all these things. You can't, you know, hey, if I just go to DraftKings, what's your code? Not the way it works. Pressboxonline.com slash offers and then click on the link and that's how you can take advantage of that great offer. $150 in bonus bets after placing your first $5 bet. Scheduled to be joined by Darnell Hopkins, coach at Curly, a longtime friend and teammate of Carmelo Anthony as we continue this morning to celebrate the career of one of the great Baltimore athletes of all time. We'll look to do that next. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know it's on Grinder or anything, I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue into hour number two of today's program. Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson got together last night, and they were joined by former longtime pro sports executive, including someone who spent a lot of time with the Oakland A's, Andy Dolich, um, speaking about the bizarre scenario that's playing out, apparently that is far from a done deal that the A's are going to end up in Vegas. I, I still think it's the most likely scenario, but maybe some of these other markets that are clamoring for baseball could get involved, as apparently the folks in Nevada are not willing to pay the exorbitant price tag that uh, the A's were hoping they would be willing to pay. So maybe that gets Salt Lake City into the mix, or Nashville, or I guess Orlando. Montreal. I I think the problem is MLB would need both Montreal and Orlando to be in play to try to get things done in Tampa, right? Like, I think the thought is Orlando is the obvious destination for Tampa. This is one of those really tricky things. Like, it's unbelievable to me. Okay, by the way, if you missed that show last night, let me let me wrap that up. Then we can move into a different conversation. If you missed that show last night, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Click on the videos tab. Go to youtube.com slash pressboxonline or pressboxonline.com slash video. Those are all the ways for you to check it out. So I, as you all know, I'm an Arizona Coyotes fan. I'm the one. Not just the one here, the one in the world. And... I believed that this thing falling apart last week, the vote on the new arena in Tempe, when that failed, I genuinely believe that would finally be the end of this, that they would just look at one of these other markets, Houston, Kansas City, Salt Lake City, whatever it was, and so, or, you know, another Canadian team, and they would say, all right, we've had enough. We're going there. But Phoenix is so desirable of a market, and, and this is the part that people can't understand like the all of hockey media is crucifying Gary Bettman for his obsession with keeping the Coyotes in Arizona to the point where they're going back to the drawing board. 
Like, they're going to sign up for at least another season of playing in a 5,000-seat arena, playing in a building the size of, like, CQ Arena yeah, with an NHL team for at least another year. And who knows how long, because even if they find another place in Phoenix to play, presumably that won't happen for another couple of years. So you may be signing up for multi-years of playing just in order to keep the Phoenix market. And from everyone else, not obviously the folks in Canada are losing their mind, but it seems like everybody else is like, why? What is your obsession with this? It doesn't work. It's a failed experiment. Move on. And the part that Gary Bettman can't say out loud is, it doesn't matter if it's not as good of a hockey market. And there's always the argument that, like, hey, also, it's been a more, it, the franchise has been run poorly. It might be an excellent hockey market. And who knew that Vegas was going to prove to be such a good hockey yeah. market, right? Well, the hockey's been really good. They're about to go back to the Stanley Cup Finals. And maybe just be that Vegas could just be an anything market. It might be, yeah. or it might, you know, it just might be that any pro sports team that's run well. Right. Like this, we measure it by, well, nobody's going to the game. So the team stinks. Yes, of course nobody's going to the games. Tell me the city where the team is really good and still nobody goes to the games. It's be Tampa, right? Or even in the playoffs, people show up in Tampa, right? Like, yeah. but it's the closest one that you can come up with. And we know that part of the problem in Tampa is they have this horrible stadium that's nowhere near Tampa. Like, it's bizarre. But the point being that, like, when the Coyotes made their run to the Western Conference Finals a decade ago, it was rabid. People, despite the fact that the arena, much like the problem in Tampa, where the Coyotes arena was way out in Glendale. I mean miserably difficult to get to. I know as a guy that had to make that trip quite a few times when I was working out there, it was awful to make that trip. I was young, had no family, and so I, you know, made the trip. I just did it, right? Like I was like, what the hell? I'll go to the Coyotes. And I also had work reasons <laughs> to go to the Coyotes games. But I understood, like, today, if I there would be zero chance. If I had two kids and lived in East Phoenix, which is where I wanted to live, I would... I would never make the trip out to Glendale. It would How never far is happen. Glendale from Phoenix? I, I'm trying. It would be Glendale is legit 30 minutes outside of downtown Phoenix, but no one lives in downtown Phoenix. There is gotcha. downtown Phoenix doesn't really exist. It's why Phoenix is like the sixth biggest, biggest city in the country. It's because Phoenix is spread the f out. Gotcha. Um, so from where people live, North Phoenix, Scottsdale, East to Tempe, like that era area. It's 45 minutes in traffic. It's more than an hour. Gotcha. Like, it's miserable. It would be like measuring the success of the Washington Capitals by how many people drove from Baltimore to go to Washington Capitals games. Like, the, the number would be very disappointing. I say that to say that the part that he can't say is it's a better market. We, we want Phoenix because it doesn't matter what kind of hockey market it is. It's just a better market. It's a more desirable location. Everybody wants to travel to Phoenix. No one wants to travel to Salt Lake City. We would rather have a team in Phoenix because Phoenix is better. But you can't say that out loud because you can't trash. You need Salt Lake City in order to be in the mix because, you know, it's how you make sure that all these cities understand we have options. But you don't want to use those options. This is better. And the same thing going on uh, with, the, with Tampa where, like, somebody would say, why? What is the point? Well, they would say, well, if it can't be Tampa, maybe we can use Orlando because Orlando's just as desirable as Tampa is. You can't put a third team in the state of Florida when 
you, you just can't do that. That's absurd. But you can use Orlando as the threat to Tampa, right? Like gotcha. to like upgrade their stadium. Because the, and... the dirty little secret is they don't want to move back to Montreal. Montreal's not a place where I mean I think Montreal baseball. Where if you are an executive with baseball and somebody said, well, we could end up spending a little bit of time in Orlando or we could spend some time in Montreal, which one are you going to choose? I mean, I, it's a more desirable location. That's just the reality of it. It's, if it was between Tampa and Baltimore, I mean, let's, you know, no offense. I, mean, I love this place. But that's the reality of what they're dealing with. Um, so yeah, Montreal seems like the place that should already have a team back, but the Major League Baseball is just like, yeah, you know, it's just not right. It's not at the top. Like I can understand why they want to. I could understand why they want to get a team in Nashville. I can understand why they want to get a team in Vegas. Those are desirable locations for wealthy people to travel to. Montreal, Salt Lake City, not quite so much. Not quite so much. I don't think they'll be in a rush for that. Um. Let me cover a couple of things, and I don't know. We maybe we'll catch up with Darnell Hopkins today. I don't. I don't know. So let me get into a couple of things. One, we're just talking about it with Mike Florio. We can kind of add to the layer where he's like, "Hey, maybe this can make football expand." So it does seem like this. I think I as much hyperbole as somebody might say here. This does seem like officially the first time that football has openly announced we no longer care about stadium. We no longer care about whether or not people are going to the games. They are going out of their way. You could say it was when they first like introduced flex scheduling, but when they first introduced flex scheduling, we're talking about the difference in a game being at four o'clock and, and being at eight o'clock. Yeah. And while that's annoying, and if you have booked a flight and you were planning on flying back out that night, you probably were have been annoyed by it at some point, especially because it's a much shorter turnaround. Like they can make that decision in two weeks. So if in two weeks you find out that the game that you were going to go to in Cincinnati as a Ravens fan, is being moved from 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock, that's an annoying thing to have to deal with. But this is so much more than that. It's so much more than an annoyance. This is going to ultimately cost people money. Or it's just simply going to prevent people from being willing to make plans to go to games. There's no way of getting around if you choose that you want to go to a game late in the season. I was... We we did this exercise, so it's uh, it's not it's not the 49ers game because the 49ers game isn't going to be moved. It's a it's a Christmas night type of game, and like they don't move. They announced right. those games well ahead of time, and that's just we saw that last year. The three games that were on Christmas stunk, and they still didn't. Although they do, I guess they didn't have the option. No, those because those were Sunday games last year. Mm-hmm. They would have had the option to move those games. This year they're moving them off the day. They could have. Yeah, they could have okay. done that, but they just said, "Look, we're not." These are the games. We're not moving them. And I think that that would continue, although I don't... I guess I can say I don't know that. But let's let's just, for the sake of it, look at the Jacksonville game. That's a Sunday night game. Okay, so well, that wouldn't be the answer. The previ- the week 14... Man, it's I, the Ravens might not be affected by this. All right, here we go. So we got lucky. Yeah, because the two, the two games that are, that are on the road are... A Sunday night game, so that's not going to be moved. You're not going to move your Sunday night game to Thursday night, right? Like, that's not going to happen. Now, that could be moved to Sunday afternoon if the Jaguars or the Ravens aren't very good and it's just not a good Sunday night game. 
that Week 15 game could end up being a 1 o'clock game instead of an 8 o'clock game, but it's not going to be moved from Sunday night to Thursday night. And the same thing for the, the, the most annoying thing that could happen about the Week 16 game in San Francisco would be it's possible it could be moved from Monday night to Sunday afternoon. But even then, that's the difference in a day, and most people would probably say, yeah, that means I could get home in time for Christmas. I'd be all right with that. But on the flip side, that Week 14 game on the 10th, if you're a Rams fan planning to come to Baltimore on a Sunday and a month ahead of time you find out the game's being moved to Thursday night, you you might be able to move your flight. You might be able to move certain aspects, but ultimately something about the trip that you have prepared is going to get blown up. Something about it is going to end up being blown up in your face. So it's going to cost somebody money. Somebody is going to end up losing money in this process. It's not just an annoyance. It's this is the NFL opening, openly telling you, don't plan trips. Don't plan to go. And it's the first time they're kind of saying, we will accept that that means it might be more difficult for fans to go to games. And we'll live with that because we're telling you we don't care about that the same way that we care about TV streaming, whatever you want to call it. And if that's ultimately the case, then what else are they willing to sacrifice? To Mike Florio's point, could there be cities that just say, why do we have this 80,000-seat stadium? We don't make enough money. If we made, if we spread the seats out more, we could charge fewer people more money for a better game day experience and make just as much money and have less staff at the games. To his point, could, I mean, Green Bay has existed as a market, but could there be other smaller markets that could come into play at some point? It's fascinating, right? Like, it is fascinating. It's, it's just an announcement of, you, you're a studio audience to us. That's what you are. You're the same thing as the people that would show up and watch a taping of Home Improvement. Like, you're, you're just, this is a studio is what it is for the television show that we're producing. And we are not concerned about whether or not we have people there. But I do want good television. <laughs> like, that is the flip side for me, is I want to sit down on a Thursday night and watch a good football game. And for years, and we would tune in and be reminded that it was, you know, Jaguars-Titans color rush on a Thursday night. We'd roll our eyes and say, ugh. Of course, I would watch anyway, but still, like we would roll our eyes about it. All right, uh, this morning we're celebrating the career of one of the great Baltimore athletes of all time. And uh, earlier in the morning we chatted with uh, Carmelo Anthony's godfather, Eric Skeeters. Now we welcome on a man, of course you know now, is the head basketball coach at Curley, but once upon a time a teammate and close friend of Melo's at Towson Catholic. It's a pleasure for us to welcome in Coach Darnell Hopkins, who's with us here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. No problem. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate hey, a- absolutely, Coach. I-, I wonder if you could take me back. The, the first time you met Mello, like getting to know him, when it clicked for you, like, man, this, this dude might be pretty special. Uh, I would say I always knew it. Uh, well, I grew up with Mello. We, we played AAU together. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, we went to the same camp together. Uh and then we decided to go to Calvin Catholic together. So it was, it was, you know, the chemistry was always there for us together as teammates. But uh, 
I guess to ask you a question how when I knew I always knew he was he was always God oriented and then he just one summer he just shot up through about seven inches and I think after that it was over. Right. And then you're like, Oh man, this guy's this guy is something else. What what was what was the difference for him? Obviously, the height plays a big factor in it, right? Like, there's a lot of guys. Uh, but as far as his drive and his determination, what was it about Melo that led him to being this guy that would go on to have a a first ballot Hall of Fame career? Um, just his toughness. Uh, uh, we grew up in. Uh, you know, a neighborhood where we we play we play basketball. I don't think kids do that much these days, but we played against. Uh, growing up, we were 14, 15 years old playing against grown men, mm-hmm. and you know, going out there playing, didn't you couldn't you don't call fouls or none of that stuff. So it was just <laughs> like you had to you had to finish the bucket. So if you if you got if you got hit, you wasn't bleeding. You wasn't supposed <laughs> to call no fouls. So. You know what I mean? This toughness then, at an early age, I think prepared us for, you know, when we went on the road and played like against guys, hey, you under the whistle and stuff like that. And, you know, from there, it just shot, shot up. He is Darnell Hopkins, the head coach at Curly. He's with us here at GCR as we're reflecting on the incredible career of Baltimore's own Carmelo Anthony. Um, Darnell, I asked this, this question of Eric Skeeters earlier. I'm going to give you the same thing. How did Baltimore, uh, and, and you probably alluded to it a bit with what you just said, how did Baltimore help make Carmelo Anthony Carmelo Anthony? I guess just, just you know, our environment. And, you know, I, I want to say the first time we ever went away, it was just like seeing a different side of, of life. You know what I mean? Like, you know, growing up, you didn't – you didn't go outside your neighborhood. You didn't, you know, didn't really travel or nothing like that. So, you know, basketball was just a passion and love. We didn't know where it would take us. You know, we didn't know we can, you know, get a degree from college or, or in Melo, you know, be a Hall of Famer. Did, did you, the, unfortunately, so much of the story of kids growing up in your guys' neighborhoods does not end the way that it's ended for you guys. Can you explain maybe how you helped each other and, and how it was that you guys didn't fall victim to the streets the way, unfortunately, so many stories of kids growing up in our city end up being. Hmm. I, I mean, it, we had, we had old, like I said, we played against older guys and those guys didn't allow us to, uh, they saw something in us, so they didn't allow us to choose that route. So, you know, you know, when you see talent in somebody, you, you make sure, you know, they stay on the right path. And we had coaches like uh, Coach Corbett, Mr. Wise, mm-hmm. who, you know, took us places and, you know, showed us that it was, you know, it was it was things outside of your environment. And this is what we, we chose and this is what we wanted to do. Um, he is, again, we're talk, chatting with Darnell Hopkins here on GCR as Carmelo Anthony announced his retirement from basketball yesterday. Coach, what does it mean to you to see the flowers that Melo has received over the course of these last 24 hours? And as someone who was such a part of his story and what you guys did together, how, how much has it meant to you to see the way that he has become such a beloved figure within this country? 
it's, it's truly a blessing. And, and now, you know, coaching, not just at Curly, but coaching with Team Melo, it, it, it's an honor to, you know, carry on his name and, you know, with his son playing now and, and watching him on the road and, and his his passion uh, for his son to be great is a, is a beautiful thing to watch. Can you, for people that don't know, because you just bring up Coach Mello, or uh, Team Mello, I feel like, you know, he's been here a lot over the years. He's made, you know, plenty of, of chips. Can you describe how much Baltimore means to him and how much he's done to continue his legacy here and to continue to impact young people in our community? I think, you know, like, I, I mean, for me, I know coaching is, is something that I, I love doing and it's, it's Honestly, is is it was better than playing the game just to give back. I don't. I mean, I can't really speak for Carmelo, but I know for me, it was just like coaching is something that I enjoy doing, giving back, and it is honestly a privilege to do that. Can, can you? Like I said, we had coaches like Coach Corbett, yep. Mr. Wise, who you know were guys that made sure we stayed on the right path, and it's kind of what we're doing now. Here's the, here's the real important question. What would happen when you guys would just go up against each other one-on-one when you were kids? What did that look like? Oh, my goodness. It was a battle. <laughs> you know, I, I tell some of my players uh, some of the times that me and Carmelo play. I remember one time we played. It was nobody in the gym. We were at Towson Catholic, and we were playing one-on-one. And and this is one of the reasons I knew he was going to be great. Uh, he had uh, drove by me. And, you know, he he stuck his elbow right in my chest and then went up and dumped on me. Hmm. So I was like, oh, my goodness. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I couldn't really do nothing, but, you know. <laughs> we always challenged each other. So, you know, iron shot in his eye. You, I, I, you know, I think the story has been, it's become well-known in recent years about Melo leaving Towson Catholic and, him, you know, and Mike Daniels saying, look, I think this is what you should do. I, I don't think you should stick around at a place where you've got to deal with these types of things. I, I I wonder how much you think that making a decision like that helped shape his life, to have the boldness to say, I'm not going to put up with you guys. I, I'm, a, I'm a hell of a basketball player. I'm a good student. I'm not going to put up with this uh-huh. pointless nonsense of you continuing to harass me about things that don't matter, and having the willingness to stand up and say something like that, how much do you think that might have impacted his ability to transcend as he continued on into his adult life? Um, I, I, when, I, when I read that in the book, it was, it was honestly, it was, it, was, it was something that I was, uh, I was kind of blind to. Really? Um, yeah, uh, but um, you know, him going to Oak Hill, I think helped him grow and, and get away from, you know, the city atmosphere and sure. just become a man. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's what helped him most in that, in that situation. Did he ever uh, wear hoodies growing up when uh, when you guys were practicing? Did you ever did you get to see Hoodie Mellow at all when you guys were kids? Nah, Hoodie Mellow came a, a, a lot later in his career. <laughs> It was a hell of an yeah. era, man. It was a, it was yeah. a special time in basketball history. Hoodie Mellow, man. Yeah, I, I, I coached, I coached some guys that uh, I called them Hoodie Mellow. 
Man, <laughs> man, that is that is wild. Uh, Coach, how's everything going for you these days? How's everything uh, with Team Mellow, with Curly? Um, I know it's been an exciting time. It's going, it's going well. Like I said, I love coaching basketball. You know, coaching is a roller coaster, uh, but it's something that I wouldn't give up. That's awesome, man. Well, we're happy for you, and obviously, what a great Baltimore story. Uh, you guys are uh, seeing Mello get the love that he's got the last 24 hours. Coach, really appreciate you hopping on, spending a couple of minutes with us this morning. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Absolutely. Coach Darnell Hopkins, uh, head coach of Curly, of course, a, a longtime friend and teammate of Carmelo Anthony's. And again, I, as I said yesterday, I just think that we as a city can do a little bit more to embrace and it's been tough, and I understand why it is, because we just haven't, you know, even as a visitor, seen Mello come in and play basketball much over the years. But um, wanted to do that today, and so appreciate Eric Skeeters and Darnell Hopkins taking the time for us to share some stories with us about the impact of Carmelo Anthony. All right, I feel like there was three things that I needed to get to, and I've already forgotten what two of them were. So we we did. The scheduling, right? The flex scheduling. Yeah. Oh, the kick. If, the kickoff. Thing. Oh, yes. The kickoff. Well, on the thing. scheduling, though, if it means you know cheaper tickets, I'd be very right. Happy. I understand, but, but it sounds like I, it could be the I, opposite. I, I think it's almost the exact. Like again, not immediately. Right. Like to to your point, if what you're saying is, well, hey, if there's if it's less likely that Dolphins fans are going to fly in, and there's less ticket demand for me in Week 17 of this season, that's a good thing. Understand. I think this is the first, like, where the pendulum could swing is where the Ravens say, we could get more money if we, you know, remember when in the Dolphin Stadium they did, like, recliners, and, like, if we took out sections. And, and started adding, like, sweet And made them, field like, level we created elevated that, yeah. ticket experiences, then that, targets a certain demographic of people that make a certain amount of money to try to get more money, that premium ticket, and puts less of a premium on the affordable ticket. And now there's greater demand for the lower-end tickets because only so many people can afford those premium tickets. There's less lower-end tickets available and more people going for them. Then the answer sort of becomes, ultimately, I think, Again, I think for the moment you might you might have a small benefit, like a small benefit. Um, but I think ultimately it's a sign of what's to come, and I think we see that with new venues that open all of the time. Like we want to prioritize how many, but what is the correct what is the correct amount of high end people with money to spend that we can target for our event. And also still, like, have a handful of, you know, things available for the Great Unwashed, too. And I, and I hate saying that because I'm part of the Great Unwashed. I know. Well, I, but, you know, that's what I'm hoping for is that, you know, Sunday morning I wake up and, you know, right. there's tickets for 20 I, bucks or less. I, I think it's likely to go the other way. Yeah. I think the greater okay. likelihood Damn. is that, again, not immediately, but at some point in the future, because they care less about it, that they are, they would rather have... Instead of 80,000 fans at a game, they'd rather have 30,000 really high-end fans at a game. And they are not as concerned about whether or not you or I or 
you know, Steve from Perryville or whatever it is. I, unless Steve from Perryville is a high end, uh, a billionaire, right? Yes. Like, is a they would rather have a smaller group of the right type of people than a larger group of the great unwashed. And we're kind of that we're kind of generalizing that for the, all of the NFL. Right? I, no, it's not unique. I don't think it's yeah, unique yeah. to the Ravens at all. And, 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 and I almost feel like maybe the Ravens could be one of the. Right, because there's teams to do this because, because there's not as much a of a field. Well, they kind would, of pride themselves. Yeah, Baltimore. I don't think that matters at all. I think okay. it would matter more about the demographics of the community that you're in, where somebody would say, "Well, there's less money here than there is in some other mar in other markets. There's a greater benefit." And it's also not to say that I think they'll ever fully push out, you know, the, but to create more of a separation between I, uh, you know, where like the entirety of the lower deck is. Now these premium ticket experiences and the rest of you can be separated. <laughs> I, I, look, man, we're laughing and like somebody's hearing it and saying like, are we are we segregating? Is that what we're talking about? Are you in reintroducing segregation? I mean, I, as frank as I can be, I I, I think that's I, li I like the five hundred level anyway. So yeah, I mean. Fine, do I, it. I, look, I'm the wrong person. I'm the wrong person for this because I'm not going to games. Like that's it's over. Like I've had my fun. I've done. You that. think you'll ever go to a game again? You, I mean, I will. Right? Like at some point, my sons will want to go to a game, and I'll. Mm. I mean, I took them to a friggin' preseason game Ooh, this year. It required right. me to watch only one this year. They only got one oh, home. So sad. Uh, it required me to watch preseason football, which just is an abomination. It's, it's kind of the best football. It is definitely not that. Um, These guys are trying for their – they're playing Jesus for their Christ. careers. So, yeah, I'll inevitably go, but I'm not going to want to go. Although I say that – like, I remember how excited my dad was to go to games with me when I was a little bit older. Oh, so and he, you'll have this different perspective. I, I do think that that element of it where, like, it, I, I personally would not go by myself – but the idea of doing something with the boys, yes. Like, I think that would be something that would make me excited in a different way at some point in the future. And it's a little bit different for me. Like, I still like going to baseball games. I really do. I still enjoy going to baseball games. I don't go to as many as I used to, but I still enjoy going to baseball games in part because I, I can, I'm more likely to be able to get a, a, a row by myself. Like, that if I show up to the right game, I could have a little, although I did go to opening day still. Like, I... I guess maybe that's not true. I don't know why it is that football. I think it was the. I'm telling you, going on, going to every game, and the number of times that I dealt with drunks and just like that walk back to the car at the that's end of the night was uncomfortable. It. It's not. You can. It could be part of it. When I was your age, it was part of it. It was. At a certain age, it no longer was something I was interested in doing. In the same way that I have no interest in being at a bar on a Saturday night. None. Zero. Like, it's just the way that life goes. And Drew Forrester had this conversation with me once upon a time, and I'm having it with you. And when people tune into Griffin Bass Radio in 12 years, you can have it with somebody else. GBR. Yeah, you can have it with my sons, you know? Like, when that, this is, it's just the way that it goes, man. So I'm the wrong person. But, you know, it doesn't really, I, I want, to me at this point, I want the best TV product that I can get because that's what I'm consuming. What I'm consuming is television football. The kickoff thing is weird to me. I at some point it's sort of like why even bother? Why bother with the charade? And the answer is because they still want the threat of there being a kickoff return for a touchdown, which is a very exciting play. They don't want that gone entirely because they want those highlights. They want it's it is electric when it happens, but you really are teetering on. You're taking any strategy out of the the kick itself. 
you know, teams have been experimenting with let's kick short of the end zone and try to go down and play coverage so that, you know, we could pin them back inside the 20, something like that. I, I'm not worked up about it by any stretch of the imagination because I just don't think the kickoff is that. I, like, I prefer the football to the kickoff. So, like, you know, I, I'm never going to be mad about the kickoff. And, you know, if they're doing it in the name of what well, we think it's a dangerous play and teams are constantly trying to come up with more dangerous ways to run coverage and so we just have to do something with it, I hear you. And I think that's got to that, – that'll have to be their only defense, really. I mean – What do you mean? Like, I mean, to, to in, enforce this oh, that's, new that's rule. Oh, that's the reason yeah. why they're having the conversation. Yeah. And, look, I, every year they're, they're – now we can only have a two-man wedge. Now we can only have – like. The, the number of times I've had to pretend like I understood what the conversation was about the kickoff wedge over the years because they were changing the rules about it. Like, I don't under, I, I'm just going to move past this. So at some point, if they're sort of saying, look, we, it's just, what are we doing here? Let's try to encourage teams to stop running kicks back. Then the immediate question that follows up is, well, then why bother having the kick? Why mm-hmm. are we still fighting to keep something that you clearly don't think is an important part of football. Why not just move on? And a lot of people would say that's probably the next thing that comes from this, is that there just are no kickoffs any longer. And it, it'll it be, yeah. It'll know, be, be a bummer for the backlash. For yeah, I mean, there would be. I mean, like, it's obviously not great. But then, you know, like the extra inning rule in, in MLB. I, well, it's going to. Right. It's going to be like. I okay, don't think that better. getting rid of the kickoffs is going to better the product. Like, that bettered the product, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think getting rid of kickoffs can better the product. I think the question is, ultimately, do we really care? Do we really care if there's not a kickoff anymore? <sighs> I don't think I do. I, and it's tough because I've watched Jermaine Lewis and i watched Jacoby Jones, and, like, we've had electrifying returners here yeah. in Baltimore. And if you were in, you know, a place that had a, a you know, a Cordero Patterson, a, a you know, a... D- a Devin Duvernay. Devin, Devin, not him. Devin Hester. Oh, Devin. Um, <laughs> like someone like that. You might say like, hey, Ray, I kind of yeah, Ravens had a Devin Hester, yeah. Yeah, they had it for about three weeks. It wasn't Devin Hester when it got <laughs> here. <laughs> it was something else. It was it was named Devin Hester, but it was oddly not Devin Hester by the time it reached Baltimore. Um, Devin Hester was a good guy. I've had conversations <laughs> with him. I like him a lot. He was a hell of a player. Arguable Hall of Famer. Um, you might have romantic feelings towards kickoffs, right? Like we watched in that for Ravens' first Super Bowl, back-to-back kickoff returns for touchdowns. It was an electrifying moment in the Ravens' first Super Bowl and run. OJ Bergrant's making the tackle, right? The like there are opening kickoff, and there right. are guys that have had. Ju- Part of it might very well be that NFL teams say we don't want to just have to keep guys around that because special they're special teamers. We'd rather be able to construct a roster of football players of guys that will go out and help on offense and defense and not have to give a certain number of our roster spots to special teams players. Again, just because I'm used to it, because I'm, I I don't have romantic feelings about it, but it's part of what I'm used to. My inclination is to say, I'd rather the kickoff continue. But I was also the guy that said, I don't really care about the extra point. I, I, I got why they tried to make it better in order to make it more interesting because I was the guy that could absolutely stand up and walk into the kitchen the moment the touchdown was mm-hmm. scored because we just the extra point was fade out complete. I if they get rid of kickoffs, it would be weird. I don't think that in five years I'd be sitting here saying, God, football is so much drastically worse. I don't think I would think about it again five years later. But 
yes or no, do I think we should keep kickoffs? Eh, I'm used to them. They're a part of the football that I grew up watching. So, yeah, I, I, I give it a yes. But that's about as strong of a, you know, statement as I can make about the concept. We spent th- this much time talking about kickoffs in football. Good Who job, cares? NFL. They did it. Yeah, they, they accomplished it. what they wanted yeah. to accomplish. But I think what they really wanted to accomplish is getting me to admit that, like, I just don't care all that much. So now whatever they do, like, this can be the first step they take, and then in three years they can get rid of kickoffs altogether. All right, go ahead and call Patrick. We're not going to take a break here. Um, today's show is also brought to you by A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. A.C. season is coming up fast. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. It's not even coming up fast anymore, obviously. It's here. We are into AC season, so make sure you get in touch with AJ Michaels and AJMichaels.com. We are also on the cusp of the lacrosse Final Four this weekend up in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, no local teams are involved in the Final Four, but they're going to play it anyway, believe it or not. They're going to go ahead and do it. And coming up on Saturday, the semifinals up in Philly, as I mentioned. Duke and Penn State at noon, Virginia-Notre Dame at 2.30, and then Monday, the championship game. Let's preview it with our friend Patrick Stevens. USA Lacrosse Magazine at Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter. Patrick, good morning, my friend. How are your travels this weekend? Uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend uh, the... <laughs> The back and forth from Albany over a forty-hour span. Yeah, that's via like via, via the drive. So the uh, you know it was a lot easier making those drives like 10, 15 years ago for some strange reason. Um, boy, I'd have to think about it because that, yeah. I was younger. Ah, ah, that's the answer. That's the. Answer. Yeah. I went. I went to a concert recently, Patrick, and I said. Are bands quieter than they used to be? And then I said, "No, I've just my hearing's not as good as it once was yeah. <laughs> because I'm 40 now. That's that's what's happened here. Now I understand." Yeah, the, the whole the whole the whole driving about 700 miles over a span of 40 hours yeah, not as easy as it once was. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot, no doubt about it. Um, some pretty good lacrosse over the course of the weekend. Uh, Georgetown, Virginia was you know for a while quite competitive. Obviously, Penn State. Army was very good, literally, to the last tenth of a second. It was an excellent game. But ultimately, we largely get what we expected going into the Final Four. Penn State gets to be the fourth team that makes the trip. But we all thought the three ACC teams were the teams to beat, and ultimately, they're the teams that are here. I guess the question now is, of these three teams, who's really the team to beat this weekend in Philadelphia? Well, if we assume that those three teams are at a different level than Penn State, and and as much respect as I have for what Penn State has done this season, a team that, you know, the last couple years was not good at all, had had a lot of injuries, had been bad on defense, and has turned itself back into not what they were in 2019, but a really rugged team. I mean, them and Army basically were two sides of the same coin playing against Mm -hmm. each other, just everybody swarming all over the place. That wasn't the most artistic game, but in terms of pure effort and hustle, it was a really enjoyable game on that front. But if we assume that, then Duke probably has a bit of an advantage because it only has to go through one of those two teams, whereas there's a decent chance that the Virginia-Notre Dame winner is going to have to go through Duke as well on short rest. Um, We could also look at the whole uh, rock-paper-scissors that is those three teams which is that, that Duke has won something to the tune, and, and I'm off by a little bit on this, 
I think. But I think 23 of the last 25 times they've met Virginia, they've won. Um, Virginia has won its last, I think, six against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has beaten Duke three times in the last two seasons. And so, you know, can Notre Dame get over the hump after suffering its only two losses of the season to Virginia? Can Virginia get over whatever mental block it is? And in fairness, they, the, the last time they got Duke was in the 2019 semifinals. So they did it when it really, really mattered. Fair. Um, can, can Duke uh, knock off a Notre Dame team that's had its number? And so I, I think, you know, matchups probably matter a little bit here. Uh, to some extent, you know, the, the thing I would point out that, that, that I think is the big reason why Virginia has had the success it's had against Notre Dame is that it has two huge defensemen in Cole Kastner uh, and Cade Sostad, 6'6", 6'7", mm-hmm. guys that have a little bit more range and, and just don't give the Kavanaugh brothers as much room to operate. I, I was at the game in Charlottesville at the end of last month, and neither of those guys had a very comfortable day at all dealing with Kastner and Sawstad. So I, I think that's kind of where uh, Virginia has a bit of an advantage. But then, you know, you look at what they did against uh, against Duke the two times they played, and, and they got, you know, Duke was able to do a lot of damage at the offensive end. So I, I don't know if there's a true favorite here. I think there, I think Penn State winning would constitute a surprise. I mean, those, two, those three teams, those three ACC teams, have lost a combined two games all season to people not named Duke, Notre Dame, and Virginia. Duke lost to Jacksonville early in the season. Virginia lost in overtime to Maryland. That's it. So Penn State would have to double that total in three days to be able to walk away, and and they would be a worthy national champion. Oh, if they uh, beyond worthy, I would say. At that point. You know, yeah. that said, I, I think that would be the most surprising outcome this weekend. The good thing for them, unlike uh, – Four years ago, when they were the number one seed, and everybody's talking about Grant Amen, Mac O'Keefe, and all those guys, they're playing with house money. Right. I mean that that is a season that is already successful. Uh, there is nobody at Penn State that's gonna. That, I mean, they'll feel bad if they lose this weekend. But when you look back on it after a little bit of time, you'll go, "That was an awesome season." Whereas I think for the other three teams, it really is kind of a title or bust type of scenario. The other advantage that would seemingly exist for Duke, and we've talked about it a lot with Maryland over the years, is the advantage of playing in the first semifinal on Saturday, correct? <laughs> yeah, that probably will help out a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing, the early the early uh, forecast, I haven't looked at it in the last, I don't know, 18 hours or so, and maybe I'll bring it up right now, but what I saw last night or yesterday afternoon was that it was going to be like mid-70s and um, and, and maybe a little bit of rain on Saturday. So it says mostly sunny with a high of 75. So okay. we're not talking about truly brutal yep. weather. Uh, Memori- Memorial Day, uh, chance of showers, partly sunny, high near 81. That's obviously a way out. But we're not talking about one of those 95-degree yeah. days that, that's going to destroy everybody. That said, you know, if, if somebody, you know, if Duke could create a scenario where they get some of their regulars some rest if they can go and, and get a blowout. And I'm not sure they can because Penn State has done a good job all season of, of playing people tight. Uh, but if they can, that's no doubt going to be an advantage. And the extra couple hours uh, of rest and, and the ability to scout in real time and know what you're going to deal with, that's going to help too. Um, I guess two things is, is this, I guess, is our penultimate conversation with Patrick Stevens for the college sports year here on GCR. Uh, for the people that only watch 
Memorial Day weekend lacrosse, right? The people that, oh, right, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's the Final Four. This is when I watch. Can you take them through the, you know, the Kavanaugh's, the O'Neill's, the, the players that are the most electric this weekend whose names they should know ahead of sitting down for their annual Memorial Day weekend viewing of the sport? Well, Brandon O'Neill is, is the dude for, for Duke, the Tawaraton finalist. He had six goals the other day against Michigan in the quarterfinals up in Albany, including just a, a sweet behind-the-back goal that basically kind of helped spur Duke to create the separation it needed to turn something that was you know, slightly dicey, but not really. Like It was like a four-goal game at that point and turned it into, into a blowout there in the fourth quarter. Uh, and he's a guy that can do everything. I mean, I, I think he's probably the best multidimensional player left in the field. When you when you look at the the other two Tawaras on finals, and we'll get to them in a minute. Um, you know, they're maybe better table setters than they are scorers. Yeah, and that's especially true of, of the of Pat Cavanaugh, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, another name to look for for Duke on the defensive end, Kenny Brower, uh, a guy that's come a long way uh, over the course of his career. He's uh, Certainly a highly touted player coming out of high school, uh, but has really kind of settled in with their team defensive concepts here. That's the name to watch at, at, at that end of the field. For Notre Dame, uh, Pat Cavanaugh and his brother Chris, uh, two guys from Long Island, the Cavanaugh family with a long history at Notre Dame. Uh, Pat Cavanaugh now has 50 assists in 13 games this season. He only had one assist the other day against Johns Hopkins. They were really determined to not let Pat Cavanaugh beat them, which is not really a bad strategy think about it like don't let the other guy's best guy be what a thought uh but Notre, but notre dame uh certainly had a lot of options and was able to get by but pat cavanaugh is kind of the table setter for all of it uh another name to keep an eye on one of my favorite players in the country brian tevlin who played several years at yale uh the graduate transfer for notre dame he's a guy that plays on their second midfield he plays on face-off wings he plays defensive midfield when they go man down they hand them a pole and he goes out there and, and plays man down uh, just a, a do-everything sort uh, and the sort of guy that definitely has about as much experience as anybody not on Virginia in a Final Four uh, in this particular year. Uh, speaking of Virginia, Connor Schellenberger had some injuries during the regular season. Uh, wasn't really sharp in the middle of the year. Missed a game against North Carolina. Uh, but since he's gotten fully healthy over the last four or five weeks, he has been electric, had uh, two goals and four assists against Richmond in the first round, had six and four uh, to tie a Virginia record for most points and most goals in an NCAA tournament game. Uh, and so good Schellenberger uh, is capable of being both a distributor and a goal scorer. And when that happens, it creates a lot of headaches for people, especially when you look and you see Peyton Cormier and Xander Dixon uh, as really lethal options that can that have deposited both, I think, are at 50 goals plus. Dixon definitely is because he set a school record for goals in a season. And then you look at kind of all the midfielders that they've got with the Vermont transfer, McCondy and all that. It's it's a lot to work with there. And then on the defensive end for Virginia, I would say look out for both of those guys I mentioned earlier, Cade Sostad and Cole Kastner. Right. As for Penn State, I, I think uh, one of the things that was a huge takeaway this week uh, from that Army game was just how creative T.J. Malone is and being able to turn nothing into something, whether it was that goal early on where he was just kind of in the corner and chased down a ground ball and ran past his defender, or the goal in the third quarter, which, which you know, it wasn't as, as highlight reel worthy, you would think, as, as like the O'Neal behind the back goal. But basically, he had a teammate take a shot 
that he man- that was high, and he just snagged it out of the air and then came around the cage and scored, which is really hard to do. And so he had four goals, and he's a guy that started on that 2019 team and has had a bunch of injuries over the course of his career. You know, they don't exactly have like a bunch of superstars, uh, but but he would be, I think, the first among equals for that team. And at the defensive end for Penn State, Jack Frassion, I think, is probably uh, you can make the case the best goalie remaining in the field. I think Liam Endeman from Notre Dame certainly has a case as well. Uh, but Frassion might be uh, as big a name as, as Penn State ultimately has. Sure. He's had a fabulous season this year, and he's going to have to have a big game Saturday against him. Uh, and then we should put the final touches, obviously, on Johns Hopkins. Not surprising at all. And, and you know, we're pretty competitive uh, uh, for a little while there against Notre Dame. Um, I, do, do we just – is this season enough for us to say, you know, Hopkins is officially back. They are on the right trajectory. There's every reason to believe that moving forward they can get right back in the mix to, to make runs to the Final Four and compete for championships. Or do they still kind of have to prove that before we simply accept it? Well, I think there's kind of a middle ground there, right? Like, because at Hopkins, back means winning champions. Right. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. So to sit here and say Hopkins is back when, when they lost in a quarterfinal, that's probably pushing it and certainly not at the standard that so many of their fans have. That said, I do think that what we saw this year uh, is probably more indicative, first of all, of, of the direction things are heading. Things clearly took a massive step forward this season. Uh, and it was, was much needed after the 4-9 and nine record against the Big Ten-only schedule two years ago, 7-9 and nine last season. You look at Hopkins and you take out that one week in February where they, they, they had some injuries, they, they didn't look good against Loyola, they didn't play a great second half against Carolina, and you're like, there's not really much to quibble with, right? Like they lost by a goal to Penn State in overtime on the road. They, they lost to a Maryland team that was pretty fired up in the Big Ten set. Yep. They lost to Virginia, who's really good. And they lost to Notre Dame in, in a game that, you know, frankly, like that, that was a good example of what Notre Dame does. It, it gets a lead and it just kind of like keeps you at bay. And, and that's exactly what happened there. So I do think that, uh, that Hopkins is, is definitely on the right track. I, I don't think we're going to be overlooking anything going on at Homewood moving forward. Uh, but there's still at least one or two more steps for that program to take before we're going to sit here and, and start hearkening back to, to some of the truly great teams that have played there. Not to take anything away from this bunch, because I think Hopkins had a wildly successful season and was remarkably consistent all the way through. For a team that hadn't enjoyed much success yep. the last few years, their consistency is something to, to, to be applauded. All right, it's time for us to play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams that this particular player has played for? And I've got a pair of very modern pitchers for you. We begin uh, four teams for a two-time All-Star, once led the National League in wins, Gio Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez uh, was definitely a Washington National. Most certainly, bulk of his career. Um, Gio Gonzalez was in Oakland beforehand, right? His, yep, correct. Began with Oakland. I had forgotten about that. So, uh, Gio Gonzalez, he ended up, uh, was he, I'm trying to think here, was he a Marlin there late? No, not a Marlin. Not a Marlin. Okay. 
I was trying to remember exactly where his so it was late in, career. I'll, I'll give you. Here's what I'll give you. In, he was traded somewhere at the second deadline in 2018. Then what I'll tell you is he actually signed after the 28 season, 2018 season, with the Yankees, but never pitched for them, and ended up back with the team that had traded for him in 2018. So he ended up spending two seasons with that team. There was just this small break in between there where he was flirting with another team and then spent the pandemic season somewhere else. Pandemic season someplace else. Well, I'm probably not going to remember that. I had no recollection Uh, of that one either. (laughs) None. Uh, Oh, you know what, by the way, here's your answer. He did sign with the Marlins at the end. So you know what? I'm going to give you a half a point for the Marlins. He did. He never, I, I, vi- I did vaguely yeah, recall never pitched, a little bit. Never pitched for them, but he did sign with the Marlins in 2021. Was he out in Milwaukee? That was the one. That was where he was acquired. He was in Milwaukee. And since you technically got Miami right, do you want another stab at where he pitched in the pandemic season? Yeah, uh, the pandemic season. Was he a Met that year? Not a Met, no. He was with the Chicago White Sox in the pandemic okay. season, which, again, I have zero recollection of, but that's that goes How many games did he pitch in? Uh, I don't have it. I just I just oh, okay. moved off that page. You can look out. it up. Uh, the other one that I have, active player, five teams. Surprised he was only once an all-star. Signed a big contract in the offseason. Kevin Gosman is the other name. Kevin, Kevin Gosman, Baltimore. Yep. Atlanta. Yep. San Francisco. Yes. Toronto. Yeah, I had forgotten this one, too, for what it's worth. This is okay, so between this- Atlanta and San Francisco. He was in 2019 acquired by off of waivers and spent, oh, waiver the last, claim, huh? uh, spent the last two months with this team after the Braves had given up on him and before he uh, experienced reclamation in San Francisco. Um, I'll I'll throw the Reds out of the. That's box. the one. That's the. You, were you really just guessing that? Was that really a complete Yes, guess? I, was, I was. I was guessing that. That's unbelievable. God, that's unbelievable. Yep, it was the Reds. Of course, Actually, been... you know what? Did, did he pitch the game that we saw out it, there? You know what? You might be right about that, actually. I think that, I think that might, might be the answer. That... I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on to baseball reference now, which I so never So we were there in August, and he was claimed on August we 5th. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was 2019. Uh-huh. That... The game that he pitched against, it does not look like he pitched in 2019 against San Francisco. Okay, all right. Yeah. So that would have been the irony that would have been something, no doubt about it. All right, uh, you're up in Philadelphia, obviously, for the weekend. You doing everything? You doing uh, D two, D three, the whole thing? I I will be there for the D two and D three title games. I know Salisbury's playing. Uh, like yep. Tufts in the D3 indeed, title game, indeed. and then it's Mercyhurst and Lenore Loin, Lenore Rhine, sorry, Lenore Rhine, which is in Hickory, North Carolina, in case you're wondering. I, I do um, that. That's the, D, the D2 title game. Uh, the only area team that's uh, left playing at this point is the Salisbury men as they'll go for another national title. In fact, uh, Griffin was requesting so that he didn't have to do the research because I was going to make him do it. If uh, at some point this week you would be willing to do the research on how many years there have been men's and women's final fours with no teams from the state of maryland in either one so i think i found yeah i think i can i think i can pull that one off right. what was the last on the, the men last men's tournament with that maryland team it wasn't that long ago uh it probably was uh it probably was um 19 right yeah, because that, that would have yeah. been no or yeah because that was penn state yale virginia and duke gotcha. right. all right so then what about 2008 
eight. What was the final four? You're asking Patrick if he yeah, remember. Yeah. By the way, there's a. You're asking. Here, you're, here's the nine ironic well, part. He might. <laughs> this that was, is the. This is the part. Well, the the final was Hopkins and Syracuse, and the other finalists okay. that year were Duke and Virginia. All right, then let's go to two set to oh seven. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. All right, if you have that in you at some point. Well, uh, Griff, I was going to sign it to Griffin, but if you've got the time this week, I would like to know the answer well, on that okay. at some point. Uh, at Discourse, D1S Course, of course, USA Lacrosse Magazine. Appreciate you, pal. Enjoy the trip up there this weekend. We'll talk to you next Tuesday to wrap up the season. All right. Awesome, Glenn. Take care. It's Patrick Stevens with us here on GCR. Always appreciate him taking the time for us. And apparently is willing to do your bidding for you. So you've <laughs> Well, got like, I, I'm, I'm you, close, nice. I think, because uh, the women have been. Well, typically, I mean, like the Maryland women have been kind of standard. So, in 2021, the yeah, they had was the last time they didn't make the Final Four, um, and then before that, it was 2008 was but the last time. 2021, the men made the, the Final yeah, the men Four. Made yes, the final four. correct. So then, in 2008, Hopkins was in the yeah. men's Final Four. That yeah. counts. And then I got to find the men's 07. Because I know Hopkins was 05 and 06. I don't remember if they made an 07 or not. I don't. The 07. No, I was living in Phoenix, so I don't remember much about the 07 Final Four at this point. All right. It's okay. He said he was willing to do it. Final fours go back a long way before that. They do, so it's yeah. not just that I want to know the last time it happened. I wanted to know how many times there have oh, ever been I final see. fours. Okay. I mean, like, yes, obviously it's saying something that we think it's we know now it's definitely been over a decade since this phenomenon has played out. But I don't know that there have been five all time years where there hasn't been a men's or women's final four team. Of course, I don't know when the women started doing a final four versus just playing um, on campus. Uh, I, 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 boy, Hopkins, anyway. Hopkins won in 07 as well. So they won. They won in 07. Oh, so they were 05. They won in 05 and 07 and lost in 08. Got it. That's okay. what it was because they won two out of three and then yes. Wait, is that math? I mean, I think that's right. Paul right, Rabel I, was there 2007. I think. It, I think it, they won 05, 07. You know what, man? This is Brian Powell screaming somewhere right now because I, I've, I've allowed this. I'm pretty sure they won 05-07 then. And Maryland, University of Maryland, was in the 2006 Final Four. Right. Okay. Right. Correct. That was the they got they got blitzed by Duke in the 06 Final Four. Um, uh, right. Not Duke. It was. It was then who was sorry, it? I just they got. Bl- they got. Uh, I mean, they Ma- got Ma- Ma- UMass. UMass. UMass that's, beat them eight to five. And that's not what I was thinking of. Then what was the? I thought 06. Whatever the year Harry Alford was the goalie, because I just remember it being kind of embarrassing. All right, whatever. It's all running together. Forget, forget it. Forget it. Not worth it. All right, when we come back in, we'll get a tidbit, we'll get two bit of wrap-up for a Tuesday edition of GCR. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. 
Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge. 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches. And top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Yeah, Brian Pal indeed was screaming about it. He says, 05 was the weather delay against Virginia. Of course, 05 was famously the semifinal win in 05 was when Hopkins was down a goal with like 12 seconds left, won the faceoff, and immediately went in and scored when the season was on the line and it looked like the game was over and they ended up... Forcing overtime and winning the title, and uh, 07 was against Baltimore. The year I was thinking of for Maryland was 05. I had done the math wrong in my head, so I try to remember. Like, what are there things that I remember in my life? I remember being there to see Maryland get pummeled by Duke in Philadelphia in a Final Four because I was working, I was writing at that time in my career. I, I couldn't even tell you who I was writing for at that point. A local paper. Um, Philadelphia Inquirer? No, not a local not Philadelphia. Really. I mean, it was like a small... Like, this is before... This was back when, like, every small town paper had to do their own coverage of everything. Carroll County Times? At, Carroll County. It was smaller than the Carroll County Times. Really? And I don't remember what it was that I was doing it for. But I got, like, 50 bucks to go up to Philadelphia because I was still in college at the time. Like, go up to Philadelphia because they had, a, like, the Lock Ravens something. You know, like, something like uh, that okay. had a player that was on Maryland's roster that... They were like, you're there to write about them. And I was like, cool, you know, like, <laughs> happy to do it. I was so excited about it. You know, like, you're young. You'll take any gig like that. You you know a thing or two about that right yeah. now. Um, and so I was definitely there in 05, and I got to see that crazy uh, thing with uh, Hopkins at the end of the game. But before that, it was 05, where Maryland just got bullets, got annihilated by Duke. Um, you pulled it up, whatever the score was. So I had, I had, I had flip-flopped Sorry. 05 and 06. 06, I was not able to go to the Final Four because I had to work the HF Festival. That uh, was the same weekend uh, when I was working for HFS. So okay. that's that's why I flip-flopped those two in my mind. But you've what you've determined so far... Yes, I'm on 2001. ...has been it's at least two, two decades, decades yeah. since the last time there was a Towson, year. Towson kept the streak going. They, made, they were the only Maryland uh, represent... Yeah, in the final, four and I'm telling you, there was there was a UMBC final four in there somewhere too. Unless, I don't, it, unless it was like even more recent, I already already passed it. We'll see. Mm, I don't know. One of two thousand. I don't know. I don't know. Hang on a second. <laughs> Hopkins was there in two thousand. All right, we're not. We don't have to keep doing it this <laughs> way. This isn't going to get us. Uh, 
Oh God, was it really not? It was since 1980. Jesus, why did oh. I think that UMBC had a? Maybe they had a quarterfinal run in there. Maybe that's what I'm confusing it with. Eh, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Not worth it. Spending way too much time on this topic. Uh, oh no, yeah, 99. Way too much time. I had Georgetown and Hopkins in um, 1999. Georgetown and Hopkins. Yes. In 99. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, so it is. Keep going. Uh, Keep it going. Keep going. Maryland was the runner-up in '98. Right, we don't have to. Keep, you're 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 tr- you're doing too much. You're doing too much here. Runner-up in '97 as well. Uh, John Miller just sent me the best of Baltimore from Baltimore Magazine. Why did he send that to me? Oh, is he maybe he got picked. Which, that's uh, what I'm wondering. Yeah, he got he, or but he didn't say that to me. Like, hey, can you go? That's vote how he does things. Me? Typically, he'll just send you a link and uh, because it doesn't appear deduce, as though I was deduce. nominated. <laughs> I got a bunch of nominations in the uh, the Baltimore Sun one, but I guess not. Not the Baltimore. I guess magazine. the Baltimore Magazine doesn't care for me. I'm guessing that probably means that he was nominated. Uh, Hopkins lost to UVA in the uh, 1996 Final Four. Um. Okay. All right. We don't. We don't need to keep doing this. Maryland. I'm good. We can stop. I'm good. Oh, wait. Maybe I was. Oh, I was nominated. That's what he was. Yay. trying to But for some reason, I was nominated. This is super weird. Why was I only nominated for best media sports media personality and not okay? Not show or, or all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's talk this about this. Okay. So uh, here, also I found the year. Okay, you did. Oh, actually, no, I didn't double check with the women's yeah, side. Yeah, maybe okay. you need to do that. Okay. Uh, best sports media personality nominees: Alejandro Denois, who is uh, with the Baltimore Banner, Ben McDonald. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to beat Ben McDonald. <laughs> Uh, Bobby Trossett. We Dave, can try. We can try. Boy, right? This is just everybody is what I'm realizing. Like, they didn't These slim are, the list This is media down. personality? It was sports media personality. Okay. Alejandro Denois, uh, Ben McDonald, Bobby Trossett, Dave Johnson, Ed Norris, Jerry Sandusky, me, Jeremy Kahn, Jim Palmer. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to beat Jim this is, Palmer. This is a good list I'm to sure I'm going to have a chance against I'll, Jim Palmer. I'll go make a Remember, plaque. we lost best show to a show that doesn't exist in the Baltimore Sun uh, department. Um, Kevin Brown, mm. he's very good. Kyle Goon, who's the new columnist at the uh, Baltimore Banner. Lisa Salters? Why did? What the? Why is Lisa Salters on this list? Lisa Salters what for the, for yes. Baltimore Media. Why is Lisa Salters on the list of best sports media personality? She's from like, Philly. I understand. There's no reason. I'm, I can't even think of a time where she worked here. She was a reporter in at WBAL from '88 to '95. Okay, that so it predates when I was working <laughs> in this. Like, why don't we just put everybody who's ever worked? Why is Ken Rosenthal not on the list? Then? <laughs> Lisa Salters, Mark Viviano, Melanie Newman, Mike Preston, Rob Long, Ryan Ripkin. Who is Salvage Arch? Who is that? How many people are on this list? I I'll, I mean I'm getting near the end of it. Salvage Arch. I've never I might be the nicest person that's ever lived, but Salvage I, Arch. I Oh, I'm, that's it's like a website, I believe. But why is it Evan Woodard. Wood yeah, Evan Woodard. What what is it? What does I it know do? Evan Woodard? What does Salvage Arch do? And why would it be listed as sports media personality? Checking out the Instagram. He is an explorer, historian. What? Urban excavationist. How does that have to do with best sports media personality? Because uh, he's got a big Instagram, it looks like. He's got 45,000 S- followers on Instagram. Steve Molesky, uh, who is Tavifa, Tavifa, T-A-V-I-F-A, Gascon, G-A-S-C-O-N. Spell it again. 
T-A-V-I-F-A-G-A-S-C-O-N. Tavifa Gascon. Is a violinist and photographer. I'm not, not really sure why. Might be wonderful. Just not really sure why she's on the sports media personality. And again, Tony Kornheiser for hey. some reason. <laughs> Tony. The hell does Tony Kornheiser have to do with Baltimore well, he, you sports know, he media? lives in PG County, Who's I guess, right? making <laughs> these lists? I don't... This is like when we lost to a show that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, but I mean, at least... It's shameful. Ben McDonald and Jim Palmer. Yeah, they. I understand. We're not going to beat them. <laughs> so, like, it's it's cool. There's a non-zero yeah, chance. Not with that attitude is what you're supposed to say. You'll get there eventually. <laughs> like, you keep working on this. Eventually, you're going to get there. Here's the other problem I have. Like, best TV personality, Bobby Trossett's on that. Bobby Trossett's not on TV. I love Bobby. Great guy. He does podcasts. This is the same. This is just media. You, no, that was I, the first group I gave you was best media, okay, per, sports okay. media personality. So the best TV personality includes, I mean, TV, Deborah Wiena, Denise Koch, you know, Jerry Sandusky, Jane Miller. I'm pretty sure retired, by the way. Kai Jackson, Kelly. Like, these are TV. Kevin Brown's on TV. And then Bobby Trossett for some reason, who I love. He's a great guy, but is definitely not on TV. Not regularly. He might be a, might appear as a guest or something like that, but he does not have a TV job in this area. Um, the uh, one that I'm confused by. I'm sure he watches TV though. That's so, I, I does bet. That count? Is I mean, that, I, is that what a, I bet he does, but I don't know that he's got to watch TV. Here's what I'm confused by is, and I'm only going to use Bobby as the example for this. Best radio personality. So. I'm not on that list. Okay, I can live with it. I only host once a week, you know. Like I I can I can understand if it was, was like for all full-time radio hosts and I'm not really a full-time radio traditional radio host okay. anymore. Traditional, sure. Right? But Bobby ain't either. <laughs> so he's on radio? He's on the radio. He's on the radio. Now he used to be on the radio. Like I understand. He was on day, day to day more was more on- recently than I was, I guess. But he's not on the radio anymore. So I'm I'm just a little bit confused by Who else these. is on the radio one? I mean, radio people. Like, okay. it, it's not just sports people. It's radio. Alex Courtright, who hosts mornings on uh, WTMD. Um, you know, Brett Hollander, who's you know technically on the radio because he does radio play-by-play for the Orioles. C4 from the morning show on WBAL. Uh, Carrie Evans, who's on WTMD. Um, Karina Delgado. Is that, the, is that for a mix one of six? I think she's the morning show host over there. Jerry, okay, there's another one. Jerry Sandusky, who, remember, I lost best radio show to, and he isn't on the radio. He's like, it's like, you can't escape him. It's Jerry Yeah, Sandusky. it's Cedric Mullins. It's Cedric Mullins, but I'm not it's on that Jerry list. Sandusky. I can't lose to him in that list again. I can lose to him on the personality list, but I can't lose on. I'm just very confused by why somebody doesn't ask, maybe somebody in radio, hey, do these people all work in radio? <laughs> Jerry Sandusky does not work in radio. Uh, Lock and Fora, Jeremy, that makes sense. Oh, no, Jessica Dutra, that's the morning show host on uh, okay. Mix 106. Sorry, that's, that's Kramer who that and Jess. Gotcha. Yes, Kramer yeah. and Jess, yes. Josh Spiegel, Justin Schlegel, that makes sense they're on the radio. Like, I get that. Lori DeYoung from WPOC, understand that. Does Matt Davis still do radio in the Bay? I don't know if he still does radio or not. Oh, yeah, I think he does. Priestley's still on afternoons on uh, Mix 106. That's a good one. Rob Long is very much on the radio. There are there are there are good choices that are at Steve Huber's mornings on the bay. Like these are actual radio hosts, and then a few that definitely are not radio hosts. But I, I also I don't think we made the podcast list. Oh. I think people struggle with uh. what we are. I think that might have something to do with it. Is that people struggle with who they're scared, right? 
Like they don't want to label us. I think that's what it is. But they're the label really, of Jerry Sandusky. That's is. why I own right. They'll make <laughs> up make that up. And I only got to be. They know me. Like it's not like they just have never. We have such a small audience that we're irrelevant. Because I got <laughs> on the sports media personality list. But I didn't. You know who I'm offended for is Rita, who's definitely uh, yeah. got a far bigger following than I do. Yeah. Like I am definitely second fiddle. Maybe it's time for her to cut ties that, with you and on that. Sh- well, you're she, but back. she didn't make the list. Yeah. Well, that's embarrassing yeah. for them that they put me on the dumb list. I am nowhere <laughs> near the personality. And <laughs> shit. Yes, John wanted me to vote for AC Sports Report as best local podcast. Oh, I got to. I'm sorry, John. If I've got to give them my information, I'm out. <laughs> I love you. I hope you win. Uh, it's uh, his podcast, Adam Jones. Uh, I got bad news, but I don't think you're going to beat Adam Jones' podcast. You never know. Never, never know. know. Never know. Uh, he doesn't want to finish last. That? But again, this is frustrating. Bobby Crossett is just on every list. <laughs> Love Bobby. Love him. I, and I, That's fine. He does a podcast with um, Sarah uh, Ellison. Yes. They do a podcast together. But that's not what's listed. It's just Bobby Crossett. His name is what's listed as a podcast. <laughs> We're just making it up as we go along. Our friends Exit 52 are on there. I love Exit 52. I'm totally fine with that one. But, uh, yeah, no Glenn Clark Radio on that. Maybe it's you. Maybe it is, it's me. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. I'm the issue. Is that they like me, but they don't like me with you, and that's why the show didn't make the list, and yet gotcha. I was nominated. Because gotcha. the show did make it last year? The show made Baltimore, the Baltimore Sun list. Oh, okay. I've never – this is the problem. It, we might, maybe it's made it every year. I don't look. I only know well, thank, this thank you, John. because John Miller sent it to me, and I was like, why is he sending me this? And again, he was not concerned about me. He was concerned about himself. Don't blame him, <laughs> and I would vote for him. Bobby made it twice. The podcast, Just his name made the podcast list, and his podcast with Sarah Ellison made the list. I don't understand anything. Go vote for Jeremy is what I would tell you. Okay. Go vote for Jeremy. Good news. I found the year. Did you? 1988. The last time there's the last been a time final no four women, no men's or, or women's, women's Maryland team. All right, very good. Let's get a tidbit. I just spent 10 minutes whining about this thing that I don't, I genuinely, and I'm not even going to vote. I won't even vote for myself. I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> Clearly, they don't care either because they don't know who's on TV and who's on the radio. Oh, today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Tidbit. All right, so the Denver Nuggets did, in fact, sweep the L.A. Lakers last night. It is the first time that the Nuggets have reached the NBA Finals. By the way, uh, Patrick confirms the only years, not just that it's the last one, confirms the only two years there have ever been men's no and women. women's Final Fours without the Maryland team, 1988 and this year. Wow. Wow. How about that? That's crazy. How about that? Uh, now, what he does point out is that it only goes to dates to 1983 because that's the first year, year they had a full women's tournament. Gotcha. 83. When did the men's tournament start? Uh, that was still, that was still like kind of... It was the 80s when... Uh, when UMBC well, went on their run, or or yeah, they went. They, uh, so well, we know that. Maryland won the two titles in the seventies. I don't know what year was the first men's tournament. That's a good question. Because also, I don't think the NCAA governed men's lacrosse for a few years. I think like there was another governing body. Uh, did you see the bit? Somebody seventy one. It looks like somebody sent out a tweet yesterday. Oh my god! I actually want to have fun with this. Okay. 
Oh, hang on a second. I'll read my uh, Denver yeah, Nuggets. Yeah, nobody my cares. Denver Nugget nobody Nuggets. Nobody cares about that. Fine, quickly. Quickly. <laughs> do it quickly. All right. Uh, first time reaching the NBA Finals, 94 playoff wins is the most in NBA history before finally reaching their first Finals appearance. Okay. Uh, so congrats to the Nuggets. Yeah. Uh, first time with the best record in the conference. Uh, one of five active franchises to never do so. So now there will only be four franchises left with the who have not had the best record in their conference. Also, their first playoff series sweep. 44th playoff series, and this is the first time they've gotten a sweep. Congratulations. Uh, Jokic also became the second player to average a triple-double in multiple playoff series in a single postseason. He joins Wilt Chamberlain That's in 1967. That's a pretty good list. All right, yeah. don't, it, it, can your trivia hold for a day? Uh, it was So it was actually lacrosse-themed, but uh, but we can hold can we, it. Can we, we hold can it? Because yeah. this is going to be a fun exercise. Okay. The Sickos Committee. Okay, I do know this account. Put out... A list of the non-NCAA national championship winners from the past year. All right? So, like, when I say that somebody else governed lacrosse. Mm, okay, so, like, the dodgeball. They're, they're, yes, like dodgeball. So Michigan ball. State's on this list. Uh, yes, indeed, Michigan State. You would have mm-hmm. gotten that one mm-hmm. for sure. They put out a list of all. Don't make, I, you better not be looking at it. I'm not looking at it. I, you're gonna I, get, not, I don't you're think gonna I saw get, this. You're going to get one guess. Okay. Well, actually, I'll start with there was one non-NCAA national championship that Maryland won this year. Do you know what it was? Jeez. Let's go with, like, let's throw out some random sports here. I'm not going to say I would go as far as to say they've created a dynasty. Maryland has. Yes. For Four of the last nine titles. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good. Well done. Mm-hmm. For Maryland. It definitely wasn't dodgeball. Mm-hmm. Towson's better than Maryland at dodgeball. Um. Let's see what I. I well, sorry. you already said dodgeball was Michigan State, so you're yeah, just trying yeah. to get a dig in now, and that's just silly. <laughs> Quickly, not really. You you got to guess something. It's, I'm not gonna say water. That's the polo. point of it. Just guess something. Let's go with. I'm pretty sure water polo is an NCAA sport. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Well, but they they have probably just like, guess something. Let's go with mm, cornhole. Maryland national champions in four of the last nine years in soil judging. S- Hell yeah! Soil Hell. Judging? Yes! Soil judging? Soil judging. What are the rules Soil of this? judging national championship. Uh, Navy won a non-NCAA national championship this year in... Um, it's actually not that surprising if you know. Like, this is... It's going to say, like, well, crew is NCAA sanctioned, right? I believe it is. Okay. Mm, sailing. No, it's uh, sprint football. Sprint football. There's not a lot of they, there's not a lot of sprint football schools, so it's not hard to win the national championship. Sprint All right, football. who won the national championship? In you just like in order for this to work, you just have to uh, quickly guess something. Okay, okay. All right, in acapella. Acapella. Let's go with uh, Lafayette. No, you, Nashville makes sense. Belmont. It makes sense, right? Mm. Like singers would be in that area. That makes sense. Yeah. In okay. Bollywood fusion dance. Bollywood. Yes. Okay. So Quick. another Nashville school, maybe. Let's go. Why would you think that Nashville had anything to do with Bollywood? Come on, but you got to guess something quicker. Just guess anything. Anything. Lenore Ryan. Uh, Ohio State. In men's boxing. <laughs> men's boxing. Oh, that's got to be. Uh, let's go. Mm, Ohio State. We, uh, Air Force. Women's boxing. Mm. Also Air Force. Army. So close. So close. I have no idea what this school is because I don't recognize the logo. It's uh, Chess was won by a non-D1 school. Westchester. It's it's WU, so maybe it could be Westchester. I'm not sure. I really don't know who it is. It's Webster University. Webster. That's who it is. Uh, Climbing. Mm, Mountain school. So Mm -hmm. let's go Colorado. No, Colorado Mesa State. Mesa, Colorado, Mesa State. It's Utah. So you were on there. You had the the right idea. Uh, Cricket. Cricket. 
Hawaii. Uh, it would be pit. I don't recognize. Pit, pit won crickets? I don't know, man. Uh, curling. Curling. Boston. Penn. Penn mm. won the curling national championship. I would have thought Minnesota, like yeah. somewhere down there. I would have gone Minnesota Duluth. Dairy cattle judging. <laughs> uh, McDaniel College. <laughs> Did not win the dairy. Uh, Virginia Tech got that one. Uh, now, but this is very different. Dairy tasting. Dairy tasting. Yeah, you got to think about that. Frederick Community. <laughs> Frederick <laughs> Community. Uh, that was won by Clemson, actually. Oh. Men's disc golf. Men's disc golf. Mm, how about, uh, how about, Come uh, on, quickly. Let's, let's go with, does Williamsport have a school? Williamsport University. Why Williamsport? I don't know. I was thinking something. Cincinnati won that one. Women's disc golf. Uh, Akron. Uh, That was Missouri. Mm. Flying. (laughs) Flying? I don't know. Like flying a... I couldn't tell you what they're flying. (laughs) Flying. Wilbur and Orville? Uh, Let's go with the... Kansas. Emory Riddle. Uh, Forensics National Championship went to... NYU. Uh, it went to Nebraska. Yeah, that's well, who it way went off to. On that You're really surprised you didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Gaelic football. Gaelic football. Let's go New Hampshire. That went to Notre Dame. Probably should have figured that one out, actually. Uh, handball. Handball. Maryland. Army. Don't mm-hmm. know who won. The, I already told you Maryland only won soil oh, judging. Only one thing. We, we do one. Soil judging and football. That's what Maryland. <laughs> that's what, no, crab cakes and soil judging. That's what Maryland does. Should have nailed that the first yeah. time. Uh, I don't know who this school is for indoor tennis, so I'll have to look it up later. Westchester uh, again. Women's indoor tennis. Not Westchester. No. Temple. North Carolina. This one's for North Carolina. Irish dance. Irish dance. Mm, Tala, yeah, Tampa. University of Tampa. Did you really not guess Notre Dame for Irish dance? Oh, really? Okay, Notre Dame. You're wrong. Sacred Heart. <laughs> Sacred Heart. <laughs> yeah. Judo. Mm, judo. North Dakota. I think that's San Jose State. I'm pretty sure that's what the logo is for. Uh, I don't know who this is landscaping, so I'll have to skip it. Mascot Dance National Championship. Oregon. Georgia Tech. Meat Animal Evaluation. Meat Animal Evaluation. Yes. Um, let's West Virginia. Uh, it's uh, Kansas State. Meat Judging. There's different... Yes. Meat animal judging. Yes, like meat. Meat, meat animal evaluation. Oh. So the animal before you kill it, now meat judging after it's meat. Somewhere in Texas. Uh, TCU. You were all over it. Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Uh, paintball. Paintball. Northwestern. Uh, UCF. Yeah, definitely I don't, not Northwestern. I, I think that's – I, I, I got to double check on the quad. Quad ball. Quad ball. Division two. Division, it's a Division two school. I, I can't recognize the logo for Division one. Um, man, I don't know any Division two schools. Salisbury, Arizona State, somehow is the D two quad ball. I don't know. Racquetball, men's. <laughs> Racquetball, men's. Yeah. Uh, Villanova. I think that's Oregon State. I'm pretty sure that's uh, the Oregon State logo. Uh, Racquetball, women's. I'll go West Coast again. Baldwin Wallace. You weren't gonna get it. Okay. Road cycling. Road cycling. Uh, somewhere flat, somewhere in Kansas. Kansas. Uh, it's Colorado State. Mm. So he's way off. Yeah. <laughs> Not flat at all. No. Skydiving. Skydiving. Hmm. Uh, somewhere probably flat again. Let's go. Let's go. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of any other Kansas school, and I can't. Kansas State. They paired it with their skydive or their their boxing championship, Air Force. Uh, I don't recognize sense. the surfing I guess that, logo. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, the Taekwondo. Taekwondo. Uh, San Diego State. UCLA. Um, men's water skiing. Men's water skiing. San Diego State. Their power, Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Yeah. Women's water skiing. Jacksonville. Louisiana, mm. the Raging Cajuns, and finally wool judging. All right, I want to get this one right. Yeah, wool judging. Uh huh. Shippensburg. They're very good at judging. They judge their meat and their wool. Texas A and M uh, dominated the judging department of, of meat year. and wool. I gotta look up who won some of these other ones. Croquet. I can't figure out. Or maybe you can recognize some of these logos uh, if I show yeah. them to you. Uh, that. Uh, OKWU. What is this? This is on the o- sickos Oklahoma, account. Oklahoma, yeah, Oklahoma Western. It looks like Wesleyan. Uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan won the Croquet National Championship. That's who I was missing there. I don't know who won the men's indoor tennis national championship or the La- Tri C. What's Tri? Is Tri C a university somewhere? Tri Cities, something like maybe. that. Yeah, that's who won landscaping and quad ball. That looks like Southern Illinois. Maybe that's who that is who won quad ball D one. And surfing, I don't recognize either. So uh, you you got to figure that out. All right, uh, I'm I'm glad we did that exercise. <laughs> All right, it was very that was silly. good. That was, was very good. silly. Tubular is brought to you today by who? Pressboxonline.com/offers is who brings us Tubular today. Pressbox is offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from seven legal online sports books. Go to pressboxonline.com slash offers now and get offers like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $50 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of the sports books. Go to pressboxonline.com slash offers and sign up today. Orioles back in action, and they're taking on the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees, by the way, are what, uh, like 11-4 and four in their last 15 games, something like that? Find out. They are suddenly red hot. Hopefully that ends today. Let's root for that. Orioles-Yankees game Orioles one. Orioles also red hot, so. That's a great point, right? And like, there is, it, it, screw the Yankees. Stecka said something to me this week about, when I was make, I made a Lakers joke on Twitter. I was like, uh, you know, you got to feel bad for Lakers. You got to feel bad for Lakers fans. What when you remember the Cowboys season is still a few months away? And he was like, Yeah, but you know the Yankees are probably gonna. I'm like, Get out, get out, get the f out of here. Screw you. We don't say nice things about the Yankees in this house. Uh, game one, seven o'clock tonight on Mass and Kyle Bradish and Garrett Cole. Big Ten baseball tournament gets underway on Big Ten Network. Maryland regular season champs. They host or they they don't host. They take on Michigan State at six o'clock. Uh, Celtics Heat Game 4 as Miami tries to sweep out Boston 8.30 on TNT. Golden Knights also look to finish off a sweep of the Stars. Oh, no. Is that Game 3 or Game 4 tonight? Uh, I don't think they're up two. They're up 2-0. Florida's up 3-0, right, in the Eastern Conference. They're up. There's another. When was the last time there was a year where there were sweeps in all All four four conference finals? Uh, Well, the NBA, I don't think it's ever happened. Right. That's what we found out yesterday, right? Yes. Yeah, 2015 was the last time both teams were up 3-0. I assume assume it won't happen. Both sides were 3-0. I assume that somebody's going to win a game between now and then. But, yeah, Golden Knights look to take a 3-0 series late as the series shifts to Dallas. Game 3 tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, mass uh, the baseball find it at glenclarkradio.com the mystics host the sun tonight at seven o'clock on nbc sports washington usa for wwe nxt tonight at eight anything non-sports wise yankees have won 11 of 14 11 of 14 wow yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so today is the debut of Max, the streaming service. Yeah. HBO Max becomes well, Max. Because they were sick of being known for their good content. Yeah. They wanted to be known. John Oliver did a hilarious bit about it. Did he? Which is funnier because he's on HBO, <laughs> right? Where he's so like, they got a couple. He's like, we want you to know you can also watch complete shit here, too. <laughs> oh, well, that, oh my goodness. They, yeah. they got a couple things coming out today. What Am I Eating with Zoe Deschanel. There you go. New series. Smartless on the road. So this is like a documentary series kind of thing. Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes and Will Arnett, their podcast goes on the road. Okay. And we get to watch. Sure. Um, Gremlins, The Secrets of Mogwai. Is this, this like a remake of Gremlins? Yeah, is but it it's like show? an animated, it's an animated show. No. Uh, Clone High, season two. This is a revival of the 2002 animated show uh, where they, they clone. Well, they really are just, they are really yeah. breathing into, where, if you're sick of all the good content. They cloned famous people. Yeah, you like HBO, were, but hate all of the good programming. Wait till what we show you on Max. And they were, and they're in high school. So you got like JFK God. as a high schooler, and Abe Lincoln and Cleopatra. Uh, no, thank you. Anything else? Uh, okay. Bama Rush. Also, this is a documentary also coming out on Max, and it is about the That's sorority just, life at. Isn't Alabama. that creepy Alabama sorority where you open up the door and it's all like the girls? I'm it? sure they'll reference that. I uh, honestly, yeah. But, yeah, they talk about the toxicity of well, there's plenty of Greek that. life, yeah, especially at Alabama. 100%. That's what we got? That is what we got on Max. I was reminded recently. How I Met Your Father, season 2B on Hulu. Sorry, just not for me. <laughs> I was never on How I Met Your Mother guy either, and Kevin Van Valkenburg always screamed at me about that, like knowing the other shows that I liked. He's like, you would like this show. I've just never. How I Met Your, how you met your Mother. Mother, right. Yeah, yeah, but, like, CBS comedies have always been so bad over the years. Like, CBS has never been good. They made the Big Bang Theory. People, I mean, Bob Hart's like Abishola. It. That's their idea of a comedy. So, like, I've just never, I've never given CBS, you know, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to comedies. Like, I just don't think they're good at them. So, I've never spent any time with How I Met Your Mother, and because of that, I've never spent any time with How I Met Your Father. That's the way that that's going to go. Somebody brought it up to me the last time there was a writer strike. Well, Everybody hates Chris was a, a CBS. It wasn't on CBS. That's it might have been produced by CBS, but it did not air on CBS. Yeah. It aired on like CW. Uh, maybe because it's just available on P- Paramount Plus. Yeah, that's I why think it's that's why into this. That. Yeah, it definitely was not a CBS show. Let's see what else we yeah, got on here. You're not going to come up with anything that was good. I love Lucy. Okay, good. <laughs> we can go back 50 years and find a time that CBS was good at comedies. All in the family. And part of the problem is like CBS owned Paramount has Comedy Central, right? So like Detroiters is an excellent show. Was on Comedy Central, South Park, excellent show, Comedy Central. Like they've made comedies for Comedy Central. They just the CBS comedies have been as dreck as dreck gets. God, Mike and Molly. The What's hell, wrong with Mike and Molly. Uh, uh, King of Queens. Oh, King of Queens. That's not. Bad. No, it. I no, like King of Queens. Don't. Everybody loves Raymond. Was probably the best CBS comedy ever, and like it was not that good. It was sixth on this list. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at. It's not good. All right, King of Queens 16th. I, I was going to say, I was reminded recently, the last time there was a writer's strike was the last time they did a reboot of American Gladiators. Now, that reboot stunk. That was one with Hulk Hogan and Layla Ali. It was bad. I don't know what they were trying to do. Apparently, they modeled it after the British. Like, for some reason, they were like, you know how everybody loved American Gladiators? Let's remake British Gladiators instead. I could go for a reboot of it. It's time for a reboot of American Gladiators, the greatest competition show in the history of television. We got a writer's the strike. The stars may Let's align, yeah. Let's do it. Thanks today. 
Oh, I needed to remind everybody about PressBoxOnline.com slash contest. Sign up to win four tickets to all of the area minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms. Again, PressBoxOnline.com slash offers in order to sign up. Must be 18 or older. Thanks today to um, Carmel Anthony's godfather, Eric Skeeters, and his former uh, teammate and close friend, Darnell Hopkins. Enjoyed those conversations. Also, thanks today to Mike Florio, as well as to Patrick Stevens. We'll get all up in the greatest hits section of the Oh, my God, it's so good. Tab at GlennClarkRadio.com. Tomorrow. Ken Singleton. Ken Singleton will join us. Of course, Orioles-Yankees this week. Um, Tavares Hardy, basketball coach at Loyola, as I mentioned, has developed a very close friendship with Michael Malone, who played at Loyola. So we'll talk to him about the Nuggets head coach, which is a unique local story because he is a former Loyola basketball player that's going to be coaching in the NBA Finals. Anything else? Stuff and things. Oh, do we think that other thing might happen? Um, I, I think it will, but... Not ready to say it. Yeah. All right, fair enough. There is something that we've been working on that would be significant yes. that we might end up doing tomorrow. We will see. I'm, I'm skeptical. Cool based As on am I. But <laughs> then I, I why mean, did I, you say you think it will? Because because I do. I mean, all right. All right. But I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Also, you scheduled a meeting, a Zoom meeting, for to be one minute long. <laughs> is, it, is that does it like abruptly end? I don't. I don't know. I thought it was kind of like the way when we like. I don't, I don't know. know when I just like add stuff to our calendar. Or just I, you know. I don't know. I I will change it. I okay. will edit it to make it full forty minutes long instead okay. of one minute long, which is what you scheduled it for. All right, thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners. If anyone can make a one-minute meeting be, be, you know, really right. good. Right, I'm going to get the most out of one yes. minute. Yeah. They do call me the one-minute man. <laughs> we used to do that with Paul. That was a great bit. I missed that bit. Then the Orioles got good, and yeah. we were like, and like well, we're going to talk about the Orioles minutes. for way more than one minute, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, good good for your wife. Uh, thanks to everybody at AJ Michaels, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Casa Sin, All-American Lacrosse, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Birds. Duke sucks. Go Maryland baseball, too. Duke sucks.